Welcome everyone to Dabo's Fingers episode 53, Fresh Beginnings, Rotten Endings. I'm Scad, and with me as always is Matt. Guten Tag. So, what are we covering this week? Uh, as you know, we are three episodes in now to our tandem read of A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons. So we're reading that, of course, in a special reading order. You can find on our website, DavosFingers.com. Uh, today, we are going to hit you right smack in the kisser with five chapters. Aria 1 from Feast, Tyrion 2 from Dance, Danny 1 from Dance, Cersei 2 from Feast, and Jamie 1 from, you guessed it, Feast. So if you haven't read those yet, switch off the uh, the old podcast, go read your chapters, do your homework, and come back and hang out with us. Uh, let's, yes, sir. So big announcement for this, this episode, we've got a song of madness Yes, making its return. It's time and we are excited. Uh, you may remember this from last year. We also talked a little bit about it last episode. Basically it's in conjunction with the NCAA men's basketball tournament here in the U S called March madness. We do a song of madness where we do a tournament of a song of ice and fire characters pitted against each other in, uh, matchups, one character against one character. We have a whole pool of them and every day we do a couple matchups and we whittle the field down to just the final two and we do it through voting. We've done it in the past on Twitter, I was just wondering, do they have polls on Facebook? Do you know, Scott? Because we could do it on Facebook, yeah, too. Yeah, we could. We could we'll look at them. We could maybe combine them, although if I remember right, Twitter doesn't give you the totals. They just give you the percentages. Uh, so it'd be hard to like run a combined poll. Oh, that's true. But That is true. Yeah. Maybe we just keep it on Twitter. I don't we'll know. See. We'll see. We'll look into it, guys. <clears throat> yep. But anyways, last year we uh, ended up with just two. We had Jamie and Davos. And Scott, do you want to remind us who won? Uh, I don't. I don't want to remind anyone. Uh, the fix was in. Uh, Jamie Jamie won. It's, uh, it was a fixed election. I think we had a lot of illegal votes cast. Um, uh-huh. And uh, yeah, Jamie, Jamie defeated Davos in what I thought was a real, a real sad indication of the fans of A Song of Ice and Fire, that they would stick it to a good guy like Davos in that way. You would think that. I did yeah. did think that. Anyway, yeah. though... Well, Jamie's got some friends in Russia. <laughs> yeah, he may. <clears throat> he may. And Davos has some friends in Davos. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we've... we've. I didn't know what to do, but we, we, we kind of decided to jumble things up a little bit, and we made them our top two seeds now. Because, mm-hmm. I guess... That makes sense. Yeah, they should be. Um, yep. A lot. Of, yeah, we kind of reshuffled. We reshuffled a few of the seedings and stuff, and we brought in some new characters. So, um, yeah, hopefully it'll. A lot of that based fresh. on feedback from you guys. Yeah, that yep. after you said it, we went, oh, yeah, maybe they got a point. Yeah. So. Well, like, like just as an example, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I got like way into the analytics on this and spent like two hours yes, trying to like figure out where people should be reseeded. But like Joffrey. We, when we did the original seedings last year, we put Joffrey as like a reasonably high seed because he's a pretty major character. He influences the story a lot. But right. we didn't realize or we didn't think through it enough that nobody's going to vote for that asshole. And he got shit stomped by a super high seed, um, uh-huh. you know, in the first round. Um, you know, and so, yeah, like we got to bump him way down. And maybe we shouldn't even include yep. 
kind of outright villains, period, because they won't ever seem to win. But that's maybe another discussion before we finalize the list. So, mm-hmm. so we do start up, uh, SCAD calculated it, a week and two days from this episode's release. So if you want to participate in that, uh, like we talked a little bit about Facebook and stuff, but for sure we are doing it on Twitter. So if you are on Twitter, find us and follow us at, da- at Davos Fingers. Uh, if you're not on Twitter, sign up for a Twitter account just so you can play with us. <laughs> it's fun. It's easy. You'll like it. You won't regret it. Yeah. If you're not on Twitter, you know, and you really don't want to, you can send us who you want to win these matchups if, if you want to. And, uh, you know, we could tally your vote as an extra or something if there's a tie maybe. But, uh, yeah, get on Twitter. It's the easiest way. And I hate Twitter in some ways too, but uh, this makes it all worthwhile. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I'm excited about actual March Madness too. My Arizona Wildcats are killing it this year. They're uh, I have no idea where anyone's even at. Yeah. Well, Arizona might end up a two seed. We won't spend any more time on it. Wow. But uh, I'm excited. So uh I'm happy for you. Thanks, man. Uh so Song Madness out of the way. Uh uh I give this every once in a while, uh my sister's comic career update. Uh, so she writes now, I don't, I don't know when, like she sleeps, she's writing gem. She's writing the misfits, which is a gem spinoff. She's writing her own creation called mega princess, which is, it's actually my favorite thing she's ever done. It's fantastic. Um, and she's now, yeah, I still want to get that for my little girl. Yeah. I've been meaning to do that for you, but, uh, friend to fail. Uh, she's now though, also writing Hawkeye. Which is uh, that's so cool. It's awesome. I mean, it's not it's not the Hawkeye you might be thinking. Uh, it's not Clint Barton, the original Hawkeye. Huh. Clint took on uh-huh. uh, Kate Bishop, who was uh, like his protege. She was part of the Young Avengers for for a time, and now she is Hawkeye. And uh, it's, so it's it's kind of like a, a spinoff book, but she's Hawkeye, and uh, it's amazing, clever. It's you know, it's my sister's writing all over the place, just just like always. Um, and it's it's a big title for Marvel. It's pretty cool. Just Watching her career go go go, it's pretty awesome. So, check it out if you like Hawkeye. It's a fun. It's yeah, a fun for ride. Real. Remind us of your sister's name, Kelly Thompson. Yep. There you go. That's right. Yeah. Big supporter of the podcast. And we appreciate she her. She is. Yeah. Yeah. She she won't read the books though. She told me she she she's a show watcher and uh, she wants the show to finish before she reads the books. So, it's kind of like the anti Scott. Her, yeah, for real. Her loss. Her loss, yeah. We got some other fun news. Was it earlier this week or late last week? It was earlier this Uh, week. They released, was it? Yeah, the first photo from the uh, filming of the new Han Solo movie. Yeah. So my second favorite Star Wars character behind only the uh, indomitable Wedge Antilles. So uh, we thought this was cool. It's great. Disney, you know, really hasn't let me down yet. I don't know if you feel the same way, Scott. There's you know, some minor quibbles with Episode Seven and Rogue One, but for the most part, fantastic films, and I have nothing but uh, good to look forward to so far for the Han Solo movie. Yeah. I'm excited to see how it looks. We get a little uh, Game of Thrones tie-in. Amelia Clark is in the film. I had no idea until I saw the cast photo of them all stuffed into the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. Uh, but apparently she's in the movie. Mm-hmm. So great. She's awesome. New Chewie actor. Oh, you put his name here, Scott. Eunice Suotamo. Yeah, good. That sounds like good guess. 
Finnish, Finnish and Japanese. Yes, sounds like it. I don't know. He's a <laughs> he's a former basketball player. He's a huge dude. Um, you know, obviously Peter Mayhew was a big guy too. But Pete, he's just he's just old man. His knees are falling apart, and he just kind of can't do it. Was was he the guy that stood in for a lot of Pete, Peter Mayhew's stuff on episode? 7? Yeah, it was kind of cool. In episode seven, they let Peter Mayhew because he's you know he's just he's he's chewy. They let right. him do all the stuff he could. Uh, but all right. the stuff where there was too much runner, you know, when he, when Chewie was like running around placing the detonators and stuff, that was probably yep. Jonas uh, Suetama. But it is the same guy? Yeah, it is the same guy, yeah. Yeah. Cool. He's, so he's a, kind of officially taking the mantle. Uh, Peter is involved with, with episode eight, but uh, Jonas, Jonas, however you want to say that, is uh, is officially taking the mantle for the Han Solo flick. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we've got a Lando Calrissian. Uh, Donald Glover. That's not. That's not Danny Glover. No, it's Donald Glover. Dan, Danny Glover would definitely be too old for that shit. <laughs> if, yeah. uh, Woody Harrelson's in the film. That one came out of left field for me. But hey, there's some precedence. He did uh, Hunger Games. Hey, Mitch. So yeah, and he's that's the sci-fi stuff. He's. But. I from what I've heard, he's. I mean, hopefully we're not spoiling anything for people that don't want to know anything about the film, but. He's kind of playing like a Hamish role, is what I heard. It's kind of like a, oh really? Yeah, kind of like a, a little, um, yeah, like a disgruntled mentor. Yeah, a, men- type. a mentor role. I don't know if he's disgruntled or, or an alcoholic or what, but he's kind of like a mentor role. But uh, yeah, so we'll see. But uh, sweet. Yeah, I, I, I kind of echo what you say. They haven't let me down, uh, Disney. Um, but this is a little, this is a little bit different. I mean, you know, it, they they did get a little bit of flack in in Rogue One for the the uh facial stuff they did with um with Cushing and with with Fisher um and and you know and, and trying to uh you know paint those faces on as as they were younger or, or alive in, mm-hmm. in Cushing's case. Um but uh you know th- this is similarly, you know, they're taking those other films, they haven't other than those those little spots, they haven't tried to like replace characters with new actors that are iconic like Han Solo. Mm-hmm. And so this is a bigger test for me. Uh you know, the guy playing him, uh Alden Ehrenreich, I think is is his name. Uh might have missed his first name, but uh pretty talented dude. Uh likable, but man, who has the swagger to pull off Han Solo? Yes. Yeah, big shoes. Yeah. So anyway. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm glad they're doing it, but it's a challenge. Yep. All right, so uh, I think that's all we got for announcements. Um, hope you stuck with us through that. So <laughs> we are uh, moving into Davos Fingers now. Uh, we're spoiler-free until the end of the podcast. We do have Davos, Finger, Davos After Dark, just like every episode. Uh, and when we get there, we'll be uh, all spoilery and talking theories and stuff like that. So if you don't want to hear that stuff because you're reading for your first time, uh, you know we'll warn you with a jingle and uh, just get out. Indeed. And if you want to contact us, you want to talk about things that we should talk about for our next episode, you want to ask us questions, uh, or just want to shoot the breeze with us, find us DavosFingers.com. That's our Tumblr page. You can email us. We are DavosFingers at gmail.com. I kind of blubbered through that one. The email address is WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com. Okay? Yes. Our Twitter handle is at DavosFingers. We spend a lot of time on that little site playing around or you can find us on Facebook. That's us. Uh, okay, let's dive into this thing. Hey, Scott? Yeah, Arya. Horseface. Okay, let's do it. Arya, underfoot, horseface, 
Sticking with the pointy end. Aria on the foot. Horse face. Sticking with the pointy end. The Titan's daughter creaks through the night on its way toward Bravos, Arya's new quote-unquote home. Arya clutches to Needle as she reflects on her wayward journey and how she can only rely on herself and no one else. None of her friends have stuck by her. The sea voyage has been largely uneventful, really. Some of the crew shuns her, but some seem eager to gain her favor in some way, giving her gifts and teaching her skills in exchange only for her learning their names. Weird. As Bravos draws closer... Its great titan, the titan of Bravos, grows before her eyes. It's a giant of a statue. It straddles the Bay of Bravos, threatening its enemies with its imposing glare. They sail closer still, and a blast erupts from the titan to warn the Bravosi defenses of their coming. Basically, it's a little warning system. Anytime a boat comes, they kind of let them know. They run right under the titan's legs, and Arya notices numerous arrow slits and murder holes. So it's also not just a warning system, but a defense system uh, as you try to... uh, navigate through the rocks under its legs and uh get dropped hot oil and arrows and stuff i'm I'm really not doing the titan justice uh and kind of the whole approach and and how it straddles uh the land i would recommend just going and reading the way george has described it it's 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 some brilliant language that he uses to describe this thing um but it's pretty spread out so go go check it out uh so as they approach Arya notes that the city is flat but something else about it is odd, and she can't put her finger on it at first. And then it hits her. There are no walls. Every city, every big city she's ever seen had walls around it for defense. Our galleys are our walls, insists her chubby companion and youngest son of the captain, Denyo. And it's true. Too many ships to count as they pass by. They're assembled in the bay, along with scorpions and ballista. The arsenal of Bravos, it's called. And it's pretty impressive. So, as they get closer... The captain bids Arya take her leave, and she does, though not happily. She admits that she'd rather stay on the ship and earn her keep than face this uncertain future that she's rowed toward by yet another son of the captain. This is a future which she thinks she will likely return her to being a mouse again, kind of like her days at Harrenhal. Ah, memories. You just kind of scraped the stairs and hoped you weren't noticed by anybody, right? That's, Mm -hmm. That's not Arya. That's not who she is, and she's not looking forward to being this way again. She has a sinking feeling that she might. So as they get closer, still Arya gets to see what Lewin had taught her, that Bravos is not one island nestled in the bay, but seemingly countless islands connected by stone bridges that span canals. Many a time it offed in the Rialto. So Yorko, Captain's son, rows Arya up and down the canals, under bridges, past many other pole boats and barges, toward the Isle of Gods, which is roughly in the center of, of Bravos. They pass several temples to various religions, weaving under bridges this way and that, until they reach the House of Black and White. It's a gray stone building with a black-tiled roof and a dock leading right to its front door. Arya is left there by Yorko. She climbs steps and sees a door of ebony and weirwood. It won't open until she presents her coin, the one that Jochen gave her, and says the elven word for friend. Uh, says Valor Morghulis, I mean. Melon. She enters a dark temple, the faintest of candlelight illuminating the space as little as possible. Statues of gods of all shapes and sizes adorn the walls, but the place is so poorly lit it's kind of hard to get a really good read on it all. She feels her way through, though, all the same, and through the temple until she reaches a black pool where a man sits, crying and sucking the water from his fingers. She fills a cup for him. He drinks, stands up, and Arya sees he's bleeding from his belly. You're stabbed, she remarks as he disappears into one of the temple's many alcoves. 
She's then surprised by a waif and a man in black and white cloaks. Uh, sorry, a waif and a man. They're both in black and white cloaks. The man reassures her that she is safe in the temple of the many-faced god. She name-drops Jockin, hoping that it'll get her something, but really to no avail. The dude is all like, I never heard of him, yo. So she shows the coin, hoping maybe that'll do something. And it does. The waif and the strange man regard it silently. And what follows is a loose reframing of the dialogue. Tell me your name, child. Salty. Try again. Squab. Your true name. Nan? Weasel? Nope and nope. Harry? Closer, and now the truth. Arya. Arya of House Stark. The man is satisfied that Nailed the... it. <laughs> I know, I did my best. The, the man is satisfied with the answer, but says Arya doesn't belong there. She begs to stay, though, and so he tests her. Do you fear death? No. Then kiss me, child. And he removes his hood. A yellow skull is underneath, patches of skin kind of hanging off of it, and a worm wriggling in the eye hole. Arya kisses his navel cavity and tries to eat the worm as it disappears in her hand. The skull disappears, revealing a kindly man. Are you hungry, child? Is she ever. But not for food. And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah, no one has ever tried to eat my worm before. Yeah, so this is a trick he uses on on fresh new recruits. <laughs> Probably is a bit of fun. And the old eye worm trick. Yeah, yeah. and uh yeah, this is like Arya passed with flying colors. Um She's seen so much, right? A worm is it's not going to uh set her running. True. Uh, yep. So Bravos, uh, an interesting place. I mean, really, that's a lot of what this chapter is. It's just kind of describing this, yeah, to, this yeah. town, this city, which is completely different than anything we've really seen uh, in Westeros, and even through Danny's travels uh, in Essos. Um, it feels feel very much like Venice, right? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. The canals. Yeah. Um, and it sounds kind of like... It sounds like the perfect place. Like it's got this this natural kind of rock uh, surroundings ar- around it so that people can't get in super easily, right? And then with all the ships and that protect them and everything, it's like this, I don't know, it sounds like the place I'd want to be. Yeah, yeah, it, it sounds it sounds pretty great. Um, they, I didn't mention in my summary, but they, they have kind of like an aqueduct system. Uh, that brings uh-huh. fresh water from the land. Um, if if anything, I'd say that's kind of that seems like their weakness to me. Uh, you knock that thing down and cut off their got, fresh they water, got their supply. water supply. Yeah. And, um, but you know, I don't know. Maybe they got ways around that or something. But but yeah, other than uh-huh. that, yeah, it seems it seems kind of like a paradise. Um, I don't know. I, I they talk- have you been to Venice before? I have not. No, I've not even been to Europe. Oh goodness gracious, man! I know it's a, it's a fun time. Uh, not that I'm a world traveler or anything, but I have been to Venice. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's awesome. Uh, but I, I would definitely get sick of it. I I don't think I'd want to live there. Yeah. It's a visit type place. Yeah, for sure. And you know, the, the, the boat thing is nice, but it, it's really slow (laughs) in some way, you know, (laughs) it's, I don't know. You're running late to something. Yeah, it's like, pull the, faster, the pole boat please. Is not here. The guy's like singing to you. When, when my wife and I were there, 
It was uh, one of the saddest things we ever heard. We were sitting right next to uh, the main canal um, about to have some dinner. And uh, this family, a, a, a man kind of hustling ahead, his wife and son kind of behind him. And, she, and we hear the wife as she's kind of walking by wistfully look at a pole boat going by and say, and say, I wish your father would take me for a gondola ride. <laughs> it's like it's like the saddest thing we've ever heard. <laughs> anyway, did you go tell the guy? Did you drop him a hand? No, I felt bad. I, sh- I should have done something, but he, no. he didn't. He did not look like he wished to be interviewed. No, probably not. Then anyway, uh, yeah, kind of an, an interesting place for sure. The super interesting. That arsenal sounds pretty cool too. Right. They say that uh, they've got things down so solidly that they can build a ship in one day. Yeah. Yep. It's nuts, man. Yeah. Super cool. Do you want to talk? So, uh, do you want to talk many-faced God? Do you want to think about it? it yeah. Feels... Arya saying, "I never knew there were so many gods." Yeah. Well, and that's another thing about Bravos that maybe makes it. Uh... I don't know, somewhat ideal. If you if you're into religious tolerance, they right. they kind of let let everyone be and and uh, you know respect all these religions. Yeah, it was it was founded by slaves, right? Escaped yep. slaves. It was a whole bunch of escaped slaves that all kind of got there at the same time, and they all came from different regions of the world and all had different religions and different beliefs. And so, from the beginning, it was a melting pot that. Where that, I think, religion wasn't as important as freedom, right? So it was just like, yeah, whatever you want to worship, that's cool. But yeah, do it here. Yeah, Party on. Yeah. I, the many-faced God, in, in an extension of that, um, just kind of did a little research. I mean, it's kind of... I, I don't feel like... I, mean, I don't know. I, I've told you guys before the religion stuff. Sometimes I, I gloss over it a little bit. But I don't feel uh-huh. like George does a great job of explaining the many-faced god and, and this whole this whole religion of the faceless men um but it basically like you said this melting pot of all these different slave cultures they all have some version of what the seven would call the stranger like like a god of death right. and so the faceless yeah. men basically worship all of them which is the many faces of the same god of death right, right. um they don't care which one they, they kind of just worship the god of death and um, that that's what it's about. I, I I don't feel like he does a great job of ex- explaining that, but maybe I just missed it my first times through. Uh, I I, I want to say that he gets a little bit more into it Later. going forward. Yeah, that might be but, true. Yeah, this first introduction, and maybe it is meant to keep us a little bit uh, in the dark, as it were, just kind of like Arya is in the dark a little bit. Yeah, maybe I just spoiled so. some people. All right, that's fair. No, it's it's what it is. So. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, these faceless men, it just sounds really interesting. Yeah, the, right? t- the temple is creepy. I, I mean, to me, it feels creepy. I mean, she's walking around in there, it's dark, like they don't want you to see what's going on. There's people kind of laying around all over the place. This guy They're not sleeping. Yeah, right, exactly. They're not sleeping. Uh, they're dead. Uh, and, you know, this guy basically dies right in front of her, you know. it's creepy right like this is the only kind of temple where you see something like this Uh uh-huh 
Yeah, it definitely throws a weird wrench into everything. And comparing that with where Arya is at right now. Ten years old, Arya, right now. Yeah, I think she's about to turn 11, it says in there. Um, Three phrases kind of stuck out to me. One, she never seemed to find the places she set out to reach, which is true. Uh, Another question she asks herself, what good had friends ever done her? Right. (laughs) And then the other one was that she didn't know what to wish for at this point. Yeah. And... uh, it's almost like Arya, you know, the she's she's adrift out at sea, her ship sank or whatever, got blown up, I don't know. And she's out to sea and she's just going wherever the waves will take yeah, her. Yeah, wherever the tide right? where the tide takes her is where she's got to go. It's 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 uh it's not unlike Brienne's perception of Sansa's options. Uh-huh. Arya doesn't have any options. Like she's just kind of got to do where where she drifts right and right and that's the way brianne perceives sansa's uh options as well right like there's nowhere for her to go Arya doesn't uh-huh. know what to wish for because what would she wish where, where would she go she knows nobody you know her family no friends yeah no friends yeah. her family's pretty much toast at least uh, you know according to what she knows as far as she knows yeah um you know so it's just kind of like i guess i'll do this now and you know she kind of had relative relative safety and comfort on the boat i guess so she's kind of like ah i wish i could just stay and do this yeah this wasn't so bad yeah Yeah, and you brought up sansa and i think that's a good comparison to make and we might talk more about this later but um in in my little in my little uh metaphor sansa you know she's on the ship too and i feel like sansa maybe grabbed onto some driftwood and she's like kind of hanging on to the driftwood it's like she's hoping She's like hanging in there, just hoping something comes along. You know, she doesn't really know what it is, but she's just kind of hanging in there with little finger, you know, kind of never really quite losing hope that someone might come along and rescue her, give her a chance out or anything. So I feel like she's kind of hanging on to some driftwood out there at sea, just kind of waiting. Whereas Arya, like we said, she's just going wherever. <laughs> and, and I don't know which way's better, right? Uh, yeah, well, but it's interesting to see where she she ends up. Yeah, I don't know which way is better either in that in that comparison, but uh, yeah, I mean, Arya is. I, I I guess Sansa's is better because she has at least some power and control. Right, Arya is. It's. I mean, that that scene where she where she confronts the waif and the and the, and the kindly man. She's just she's like Jockin, huh? Jockin, coin, uh, huh, uh, what? anything any any, yeah throwing out like whatever like you know life preserver she can throw out you know or or grab onto i guess is a better metaphor Uh um you know she just has no idea she gets literally dropped on the front steps of this place is like this is where the coin says you should go so here you are she knows nothing about this place or what they do like yeah so what do you think it was about the place Though, or you know, at the end of the chapter, it talks about how she was hungry but not for food. Yeah. What is it in this short experience she's had in the House of Black and White with the kindly old man that made that gave her that hunger to learn more? Do you think? Like, what appealed to her? Well, one of my one of the questions. It doesn't sound that appealing. <laughs> no, I, 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 well, I don't know what she's latching onto. 
I think what mm-hmm. I don't know that she's hungry for. I think she's still hungry for the same thing she's been hungry for, and that's you know the resolution of her prayer, um, mm. revenge is what she's still hungry for. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. I mean maybe she's she's seen what Jockin can do. She's seen that she's impressed this guy a little bit, and what she's hungry for maybe is a, a path to gain power like what Jockin has. Right. So she's out for power too. That's interesting. Just like everyone else in the story, it seems like they're making power grabs and usually it's for this actual object being the throne or something, this visible power. Yeah. And Arya's after power too, but a different sort. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I think, you know, like other other than just killing the people on her list, I think she's yeah. she's out for power to have some control in her life. To yeah, uh, like to exactly. not be a mouse everywhere she goes. Yep. But yep. Yeah. Being Arya has been difficult for her. Yeah. Uh, being these other characters have not been fulfilling for her, like you said, being a mouse. So what can she do? Well, maybe she can be a lot of different things. Maybe she can. That's yeah. Power. Yeah. And it, but if uh, if you're a lot of different things. Can you remain yourself? Right? <sighs> Dangerous. The, lo- the yep. lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. That shows up in this chapter, and it's something that that Ned told her in all the way back in the Game of Thrones. And Arya here is proving the reverse. Right? Her pack has died. Her family, uh-huh. or at least you know all that she knows of, um, is is no longer, and she's the lone wolf. And she's proving that the lone wolf it can can survive, but she's only able to do it by not being a wolf right she's pretending she's being other things and how long can she do that and maintain who she is which is to me that's that's one of the biggest components of her whole character arc is that she fiercely holds on to this identity that she has uh her sense of family her you know her sense of herself and her fierceness uh you know her being John's little sister, all these things. And, you know, how long can she maintain that if she's continually forced to not be them? Sure. Yep. Yep. I mean, Agreed. I kind of glossed over it in the summary, but he, the, the, the kindly man makes it very clear that there's no place for Arya, Arya, her, you know, Arya Stark. There's no place for her in, in this temple. Uh-huh. And we don't we don't really get much more than that. But um, she's not gonna, she's not going to be allowed to be you know the noble girl Arya Stark here. So it's a party on Wayne. Yeah, party on Garth. Yep. Uh, I did have a quick Professor Scad. Okay, Colossus of Rhodes. So the Titan of Bravos yeah. straddles uh, this bay, and I'm sure everyone. Well, I don't know everyone. Um, knows about the Colossus of Rhodes, but uh, it was a big, big statue. Not as big as the Titan here, but um, there's a lot of misconceptions about about the Colossus of Rhodes. It did not straddle uh, the land over the sea like like a lot of times is depicted in art. And also Shakespeare himself too wrote in like several plays kind of referred to the Colossus. Um, but uh, it's it's not true. The Colossus was just a statue kind of next to the bay, kind of right right there on the edge but it didn't straddle the land, but uh, also much smaller than Titan, but 
kind of a, I think, I, th- I think maybe something George, George lifted a little bit from history. He loves doing that. Yeah. Yep. So. Very cool. Yep. I didn't even think about the Colossus of Rhodes. And then as soon as you just said it just now, Colossus of Rhodes, I went, oh, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. Party on. Party on, Colossus. <clears throat> So this doesn't have a whole lot of uh, – it doesn't pertain too much to what's being told in the chapter, but I did have a tiny little epiphany as I was reading it about old Nan. Mm. So she's kind of disappeared from the narrative, right? After the sack of Winterfell, we really don't know what's happened to old Nan, um, which and that was clear back in Clash of Kings, right? But Arya still brings her up quite a bit. And I I wondered, like, what, what is her whole purpose? And then it hit me that um, Nan is meant to simply represent, I think, that old knowledge or these old legends that she's always talking about haven't died out in the world. That they still exist and there's still people that know of them and perhaps even believe in them. We don't know if Nan was like super convict in, in these things or if she was just telling the stories to scare the kids or entertain them or whatever. But nevertheless, she's around to represent that that stuff is still present in the world. And then Maester Lewin, who we know is dead, but they were, they were nice foils to each other, yeah. right? And and that hit me this time through, it, him representing kind of the new learning, the more pragmatic scientific approach to things. And even though they've both disappeared from the narrative, I like how George continues to use them as foils against each other to show us that contention that exists between, you know, legends and stories and myths and the more scientific approach to things. So. Again, there's nothing to do with Arya, the House of Black and White, but it was cool to see that that just hit me that that exists and he continues to use that as the story goes forward. Yeah, I love how he uses them too. You, you said foils. Uh, to me, they're almost complements to each other. Um, mm. Different, different, different uh, fields, uh, you know, of expertise and views for sure. And they maybe would have butted heads, but to Arya, it's pieces of information from both of them that she needs to grow, yeah. right, and to to succeed uh-huh. in her wayward journey uh-huh yeah and it's interesting to see how she balances what they say yeah compares and contrasts and right. stuff it's kind of cool but yeah and we know brand does it too oh, yeah. and probably there's been others that i can't think of other instances where the other kids have done it but yeah all right all right cool should we move on to Tyrion? let's move on to Tyrion. Right. that's also you right it is me yes better because i don't have it's me i'm ready although uh our listeners might think i'm not ready this this is a rough chapter to define i mean um well listen to it and you decide (laughs) (laughs) cripples and bastards and broken things but the power of the mind can give you wings drinking and japing and yeah ladies Tyrion lannister or imp if you please so Tyrion rides in a litter with Illyrio, a fat Illyrio from Pentos. He's escaping Pentos before anyone even knew he was there. Anyone except, you know, Illyrio's servants, the guys on the boat, people put in the barrel, 
and the people, you know, the eunuchs at his house. So there's some people that know, but, you know, Illyrio seems... So a lot of people. A lot of people, but Illyrio doesn't think it's going to get out that he's there. Yes, we'll see. Anyway, Tyrion questions why they don't go to Volantis by sea. Oh, uh, yeah, guess he's going to Volantis, guys. Uh, it's relayed that they will take the litter to the to the Roin, which is a, a river, uh, and then take that south to Volantis. Uh, so Tyrion worries over river pirates and stone men, which we don't know anything about stone men, uh, whatever the frack those are. He can't complain, though, because the travel arrangements are so choice. Comfy pillows, endless flow of wine and top-notch food. Still, though, the crawling pace eats at Tyrion. They are going so slowly across the landscape, and Tyrion aches to be through with it. However, on the way, they chat about no end of shit. So, um... This is going to be kind of like a list form, so I hope you guys are ready. Illyrio's, motiv- Illyrio's motivations for trying to seat Danny on the Iron Throne. Um, he Im- implies he's just trying to do some good in his life before he dies. Uh, but when pressed, he admits that he was promised that by Viserys that he might be Master of Coin and have his choice of castles, including perhaps Castle Rock. Uh, they talk about Danny and kind of what kind of dragon she is. Tyrion's curious, you know what. Is she an heiress or an Ares or is she a Rhaegar? And it's kind of said that she's got the blood of Amon the dra- uh, of Amon, a- Amon? Aegon the dragon. Lovely, uh, no longer frightened. She's reborn in blood and fire, and she's a true conquering tar- Targaryen in Illyrio's opinion. Uh, they also talk about the plan, roughly, for Tyrion and Griff, whom we haven't met, to supply a Danny weakened by her journey with fresh smiling forces and help her take the throne in Westeros. Uh, we also get a little bit about Illyrio and Varys' history. They were young in Pentos together. They became partners in crime. Varys was a thief and Illyrio the strong arm. And then they started trading in secrets rather than just stolen goods with Varys' mice, kind of like the little birds uh, in King's Landing. Their legends grew and Illyrio married a prince's daughter and Varys was brought across the narrow sea to be Ares' master of whispers. So, more drinking, more eating, more sleeping. Uh, they wake up. Valerio hints at Tyrion's role as the trains roll on to be a clever advisor to Danny. She has need of such. She doesn't have too many men that know Westeros, that know the political climate, all that kind of thing. And she th- he believes that Tyrion can be of value to her. More drinking, more pissing, more traveling, more thoughts of his murdered father, more talking. By now, Danny will have left Marine with her host, Valerio says. They also talk about Griff. He's a Westerosi sellsword whom Illyrio would trust with his life. Interesting. Um, they talk about the Golden Company, which is a uh, sellsword company. They await Danny. They've broken their current contract to wait for Danny. Uh, and Illyrio indicates that some contracts are written in ink and some in blood. Mm. Mm. We'll get more of that. So we get actually a little bit of history on the Golden Company um, from Tyrion's Bank of St. Brain. So this isn't stuff that Illyrio is sharing with Tyrion. This is stuff just Tyrion knows. Uh, about the Golden Company. Basically, it was formed by Bittersteel, who was a bastard son of one of the Aegon kings, uh, and a survivor of the Blackfire Rebellion. He formed the Golden Company with a bunch of other exiles who were exiled along with him uh, after the Blackfire Rebellion, and they're kind of all Blackfire sympathizers. So he kind of forms this company to keep them together. They have a history with Westeros, and some want nothing more than just to get back home. So, more drinking, more sleeping, more eating, and more stories. Uh, Tyrion wanted to be High Septon before he fell in love. Did you know that, Matt? Uh, you bet I did. Nope. <laughs> nope. Uh, basically, the foul-mouthed, 
disrespectful of religion, disrespectful of virtually everything, apparently studied really hard as a youth to try to be the High Septon before he fell in love and was corrupted by all the carnal desires that men have. Uh, we learned a, a little bit more about Illyrio, his second wife named Sarah. She was a whore that Illyrio fell in love with and married. She died with 2,000 others of the Grey Death. Uh, he keeps her stone hands still by his bed. Creepy. New nominee for Slightly Romantic but Still Creeper Award. Really creepy. Uh, the free cities uh, choose to pay off the Dothraki rather than fight them off, uh, which Tyrion thinks is a bad strategy that eventually they'll uh, just ask for more and more. Um, and they talk about a character, Young Griff, uh, who is obviously attached to um, to the other Griff we've mentioned. Um, Never was there a nobler lad, Illyrio says. So drinking, sleeping, etc., more, more of all that. And then the chapter comes to a close with Tyrion thinking again of his first time with Shay, then again of his first time, I mean sexually, guys, with Tysha, and then finally of his father's murder at his own hands. Then he willfully embraces sleep to get away from all of these memories. And that's it. So it's kind of a... Nothing happens in this chapter. No. It's just kind of like... Let's spoon feed you stories and history and um, you know information that you might need. Um, a fun Which chapter. Gurb starts to do. He starts to do in spades in these two books, right? Yes. Is, yeah, a lot. Is so much action in Storm of Swords and even yeah. in Clash of Kings, and this is where he really starts to fill us in on some of the history. And for a first time reader, it might be a little slow for you, especially just coming off of Storm of Swords. But, man, on rereads, isn't it fascinating? It's so it, good. Yeah. It is, and it's something... Yeah, I mean, if you're on your first read, just read it carefully. I mean, when it comes to the right. time where you're thinking of, of theories and, and thinking of stuff that you'll get to later, there are nuggets in here that are important. So, you know, read it carefully. It's it's also just a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, how long have we been wondering about who the hell Varys is, you know? And we get mm-hmm. we get some nuggets on that. Yep. He's a sly little fella. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Um, well, <laughs> so many things we could talk about. <laughs> um, how about the Golden Company? Okay. Um, so. The Cells words? The Cells words. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're Blackfires or or Blackfire sympathizers. Um, yep. The male Blackfire line is um, has been quenched in the Battle of Battle of the Nine Penny Kings, correct? Yep. Um, yep. But they're they're still kind of they're still kind of tied to that whole culture of yep. you know kind of wanting to go back home to Westeros, but not feeling like they belong. Kind of against the Targaryens. Um, but now, Illyrio thinks that they might be for Targaryens. For the Targaryens, yeah. We remember Danny's a, a pure blood Targaryen, pure, pure right? Blood, yeah, yeah. Like, Straight up Targ. Yeah. So, so the the line in there is: some contracts are written ink, and some in blood. Um, a kind of, uh, he's using that kind of an, an explanation as why they'd be willing to break their contract. The Golden yeah. Company is renowned for being uh, the best company. 
they don't truck tail and run. They honor their contracts. They fight for what they've agreed to fight for. Um, and so the fact that they're breaking a contract is a big deal. And Illyrio is explaining that away by saying there are more important things than ink, and blood is one of them. The interesting Which is thing pretty about crazy. Yeah. it, it's crazy. Well, it's crazier because this is the blood. The Targaryen blood is the blood they're trying to spill before they right. got exiled. And this so, was mortal enemies. Yep. Yeah, but it, but it's kind of like uh, you, you know, like the older brother thing, where like the older brother will pick on the younger brother, but the older brother doesn't let anybody else pick on the younger brother. In the end, yeah, you In, better believe that if some if he if he runs into someone picking on him at the playground or something, that kid's dead. Right, and so it's kind of like maybe maybe these Blackfire sympathizers are like, well, yeah, the Targaryens sucked. But they're better than the Lannisters. But we don't have any black fires <laughs> right, left, as right, far as they know. Exactly. So we can help her or not. Yeah. Right. So uh, I don't know. Interesting. I, interesting. I, I guess it will. It would be. It will be interesting to see how loyal to her they are. For sure. Yeah, they are an interesting company, to say the least. They. You talked about how how they stick to their guns and everything, and they don't break contracts. Of course, we we see the exception here. Uh, one interesting anecdote that that I liked reading about was one time they took a job from Cohor, which is a which is a city out in Essos, and Cohor apparently reneged on the contract or something, and wouldn't pay him what they said they were going to pay him. So the Golden Company sacked Cohor. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you don't mess with the Golden Company. Yeah, they pied pipered those bitches. Yeah, yeah. And if uh, they're going to walk away from a contract, it sounds like this is like one of the first times they've done it, uh, probably not too many people are going to say anything to them, you know? Well, I, I mean, I think what they think is maybe our cell sorting days are over. Mm. We're going home, you know? It's time Chewy. to go home. Yep. Too, you were home, you know. We're home. Um, yeah. So the, you know, this is maybe. <laughs> ironically, they're they're known for never breaking their contract when maybe the last contract they had is the one they're going to break, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to go home and they won't have another one. Yeah, talk about going out on top. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, of course, the comedy in all of this is they're banking on Danny going to Volantis. And we know that Danny's yes. not going to Volantis. Yes, uh, she'll 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 have left Marine by now. <laughs> nope, nope. And we get that in the next chapter, so we're spoiling right. a little bit, uh, a few minutes ahead. But uh, yeah, Danny's Danny's sitting pat there in Marine, and uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh, a long journey. I, I don't know if we want to do a whole sock and Sue's mappas for Volantis, but. It's pretty far away. I mean, they're going to take a long river journey uh, down the Rhoyne uh, to get there. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's 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 a ways. I um, pulled out the old uh, Galenix map. And yep. Maybe you did too. And it looked like it was about 400 miles from Pentos to name of small old town Goyandrohi. Go, <laughs> Goyandroy. I don't know how you would even say that, nor do uh-huh. I care that much. Uh-huh. But then from there, 1,600 miles to Volantis. Yeah. So quite the trip. By river, which, which would yeah. be faster. But um, I think I, did, oh, I, I didn't write it down. 
<clears throat> I think I did a similar thing to see how far Danny's trip from Marine to Volantis would be over yep. land. I feel like it was like thirteen hundred miles, Ooh, but uh, maybe... I think it was. I think it was closer to like two thousand. I think oh, was it was it? farther. Yeah, okay. right. a little bit. Um, yeah, I didn't write it down. So anyway, so uh, Volantis there, kind of at the very southern tip um, of, of Essos, um, in the trading trading city there. Not little, right. big city. Yeah. Um, how about there, there's a bit in there I didn't cover it really in my summary, but. Um, She's talking about Danny, uh, or Illyrio's talking about Danny. He says, uh, Viserys uh, basically tried to sneak, I don't think we've heard this before, tried to sneak in to Danny's room the night before she was. Oh, Viserys. Going to be married to Khal Drogo. What a creeper. You. If, you know, if he hadn't died so young, we'd have a real competition between he he and Baelish for the creeper award. Uh, anyway, he he indicates that Viserys might have undone years of planning if yeah. he had been able to get in, and I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't really line up to me with what he said earlier. He he indicates that he he kind of threw it away, and Tyrion was asking about it. He kind of threw it. He's like, he's like, well, originally I didn't think she'd survive long at all with these horse lords. Uh-huh. So what planning, what years of planning would Viserys have been undoing if he really just thought she was going to die right away with the horse lords? Right. Well, now I'm trying to remember back to Game of Thrones. Was part of Drogo's uh, wanting Danny contingent on her being a virgin? Yes. I'm. Su- yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so that, of course, would have been messed up. So, okay, so along the lines of Viserys would have wrecked it for himself. Undone uh-huh. years of planning that well, they to get... tried to prop Viserys up with, with these, these armies from with the, the Dothraki. Yeah. But but in the end, all that all those years of planning were undone anyway. They were undone. Yeah. So, so they were. He's just kind of ruining it like, oh, I might have undone years of planning. Well, those years of planning were undone anyway. Yep. Yep. Sarah's golden crown. Anyway, so what, what a winning kid! What a good kid! Yeah, but of course, you think about it. Yeah, he's a creeper, but he's also a Targaryen, and he is. That's just kind of what they do. I'm not excusing it, but they marry their sisters. So. Yeah, right. <sighs> Doesn't uh, make it less creepy. Illyrio talks a lot. Do you think he does it on purpose? I I think he has to. You you might not think so, but when you hear the story about he and Varys in in uh, in Pentos Uh and growing up and kind of taking the city by storm, I think he's clever. I think he's I think he knows his way around. I, I don't think he's laying all this information out there you know, accidentally or, or without purpose. Right. Well, you don't think he'd get to where he is today from where he was. Right. With having loose lips, right? He, I agree with you. There's, he's clever. Yeah. He seems calculated. Yeah. It's just, it's hard to project why he would tell Tyrion half of this stuff. Right. Just weird. Yeah. 
But yeah, I, I'm I'm going with there's probably a reason when we just don't know it. He just wants Thanks. someone to talk to, man. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's bored. Tyrion's got that face that anyone can trust. Yeah, and he just opens up to him. Yeah, that that, that face just begs to hear your secrets. <laughs> he's such a willing listener and so supportive. He's just the perfect friend. Tyrion is. <laughs> just ask Bronn. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, Bronn's still counting his gold from that adventure. Yes, he is. Uh, I don't know. Do you have Do you have much else? I, I, it's It's kind of weird. I we right after I finished the summary, we talked about how rich these chapters are with information, but I don't have a ton more to say about it. You? No, it's kind of. It feels like it's setting us up. It's definitely setting the stage for something. Yeah, Gurm's just not going to spit history at us. I think to have it all go to waste, um, page wise. So. I don't have much more. We get uh, an echo of uh, what Cersei said about her dad in this chapter. Tyrion saying, are you down in some hell, father? A nice cold hell where you can look up and see me. Help restore Mad Ares' daughter to the Iron Throne. Um, yeah. He, he, he's, still, interesting. he's still really hung up on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not going away anytime soon, but... I almost feel like, and maybe this is Illyrio's reasoning for doing all this stuff, or for for saying all this stuff, is he's just trying to get Tyrion's head space away from, away from all that stuff that just happened. Mm. Move on to move on to this new stuff, Targaryens and Essos and all this other knowledge that you need. Um, you know, focus on that. Yeah, and and what's what's funny though is he is, but for the purpose of personal revenge still. <laughs> Like he says yes. in the chapter, with fire and sword, it, returning to Westeros, with fire and sword, it was the kind of homecoming that Tyrion wished for as well. Yeah. Focus, right? Tyrion, focus. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, Targaryens, that could be good because it could help me get revenge. <laughs> yeah. You know, and kill yeah. more people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, he has that whole dream, right? Uh, where he's coming home in a tidal wave of blood, right? Yes, hills are as red as blood. He kills his dad. He kills Jamie. Uh, yeah, it's quite violent. I, I, I have, <laughs> I have a, I have a sad confession to make. Uh, the first time I read this, I mean, on this read through for this podcast, he's talking he, in that dream. He talks about how he has a second head. Um, that that he's got two heads, right, in this dream. Um. You thought it was his wiener. I did. He, he says he says his he woke up uh, right before he woke up. His second head was weeping, and I was like, it, "Wet dream." What, did he, yeah, is he coming at the thought of murdering his family? Did he orgasm from the thought of murdering his family? I thought that, and then I was like, "Oh no, no, he's just talking about his. He's still in the dream." Yeah, I, I'm a little, I'm a little embarrassed that I thought that. Uh, I'm embarrassed for you, and yeah. also never been prouder. Yeah, <laughs> embarrassed, and also Tyrion's kind of in that place where it might be true. <laughs> All right, well done, buddy. Well, well done. done. Well. His second head was weeping. 
I never, I never claimed to be a scholar. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna use that. I wept. <laughs> uh, too too many jokes. All right, uh, shall we move on? You have you have anything else? Go to Danny. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, unfortunately, now you you all have to weather a chapter summary from me. So I think they're uh, yeah. begging for it by now. Oh, whatever. Silver hair and purple eyes, always on the go. Kicking it with the dragon kids and Jody. And oh, she knows just where she gotta go and won't be tearing. Look how Westerosi comes the nearest Targaryen. This is our first look at Danny in a little bit. Yes. So, and this happens to be a different Danny than what we are used to. So after gallivanting all over Slaver's Bay in the last book and through quite a bit of Essos in the book before that, here we find her uh, uh, planting some roots. She's taking up semi-permanent residence in Marine. You'll remember that at the end of Swords, she decided that before she goes to Westeros to take what's rightfully hers, she first needs to learn how to be a ruler. And what better place than one is divided and set to burst as Marine is right now? Holy crap. Talk about being chucked into the deep end. Uh, the chapter opens with her looking upon the lifeless body of one of her unsullied, stalwart shield, who was murdered while on his way to visit a brothel. Hey, even the dickless just want to be held sometimes. He had been murdered by the Sons of the Harpy, an underground organization made up apparently of Miranese uh, natives and nobility in opposition to Danny's rule. And while they had killed many of Danny's freedmen already, always leaving the symbol of the Harpy drawn in blood above their victims, this was the first of her soldiers that they dared attack. Okay, so they're they're stepping into Ramping new territory here, killing actual soldiers. <clears throat> so Danny finds herself still at war. She can't escape it. But this time it's a war of shadows, and her unsullied as de facto numero uner numero uno advisor Barristan Stelmy points out are wonderful soldiers, but they're ill-equipped at attempting to keep the pay keep the peace or track down cells of organized crime, detective work, stuff like that. Uh, her other hombres, like the Dothraki and her various sellsword companies, are equally unqualified for this task. And besides, all of them are outside the city running different errands for her. So she kind of just has to stick with the Unsullied and hope they can either weather this thing or figure it out or, or whatever. So here she is trying to repair a city in a way that it seems to not really care to be repaired uh, the people, the Miranese are sly. Many of them have hired back the slaves that Danny had freed, but at pitiful wages. And these slaves, many having no other place to go nor life to return to, they buy into it. Uh, her approval ratings, as you can imagine, are not high. But she knows that to rule the, rule Marine, she has to win the Miranese. And so it is that she prepares to hold court for the day as she does every day. Um, she is flanked by two characters who are close to her, but who we are just meeting for the first time. So just real quick, first character is Reznak Mo Reznak. What an original name. Uh, a wiry William Seneschal. Williams. Yeah, exactly. Chris Christopherson. 
a wiry seneschal whose counsel she values, but whom she trusts very little. Uh, he's a weaselly little dude. The second is Skehaz or Skahaz. I prefer Skahad. Get it, Skahad? Hey, hey. I, I always go with Skahaz. Okay, Skahaz <laughs> Mo Kandak. Kandak. Let's say it like this. Let's take it home. Skahaz Mo Kandak. <laughs> Who they call the shave pate after he'd shaved his head as a show, show of loyalty and devotion to Daenerys. Remember the Miranese, they love having their cool styled hair and everything. And so him shaving off that hair was, it was definitely a show of support for the new ruler. So she, uh, flanked by them and Barristan and, and all her, all her buddies, she starts to hold court and I'm not going to go through everyone she talked to, but she, she deals with a ton of different issues from the Yunkai wanting to help, uh, or excuse me, the Astapor wanting help fighting the Yunkai to, um, these little minor squabbles that are happening amongst families and amongst freedmen and people like that in the town and everything or in the city and everything. But I'm going to skip straight to the important one. Uh, a color, another colorful new character named Hisdar Zolorak. Hisdar Zolorak. A pretty good looking, <laughs> well connected, wealthy merchant whose support Danny really wants to gain. Even she admits to herself if it means one day marrying him as a bit of a PR stunt. There's only one problem. All he wants is what Danny has fought so hard to tear down. Specifically, he wants to reopen the fighting pits of Marine. Now, these are arenas where the rich watch and bet on slaves who are forced to fight each other to the death. Okay? So, yeah. This is definitely not up Danny's alley. Hisdar argues for the sixth time now that the fighting pits are a deeply ingrained part of Miranese culture and are seen in a religious sense as a blood sacrifice to their gods. Reopening the pits would show respect to the people and customs of Marine. And also they're a significant source of outside revenue. They draw trade and people to Marine. And then finally, blood that's shed in these fighting pits satiates man's desire to see death and therefore you know crime is going to decrease in the city if we let them get out their bloodletting in the fighting pits right it's called a trickle down bloodletting you betcha in fact danny's heard the argument so many times from his dar that it's actually her that recites all the stuff i just summarized uh even after the whisperings of Reznak reminding her that the throne could claim taxes from the pit's revenues, so we could get some money from this, her answer is still a resounding no. Peace out, Hisdar. See you later, alligator. <clears throat> There's more stuff that she deals with, but again, we'll gloss over that. And let's go straight to Danny's dragons. Remember them? Well, they're getting bigger. And to Danny's dismay, they're getting more wild. They nip at hands, they singe robes, they bicker with each other like siblings do. And lately, they've been feasting on the livestock of farmers in the marine hinterlands. Who can blame them? I mean, they're hungry, and they've not been trained in what they can and can't eat, and those lambs and goats are just out there right for the picking. So today, 23 farmers have come with claims of lost assets. 
goats, sheep, whatever, that they claim the dragons have eaten. And Danny agrees to compensate all for their loss. Uh, even the ones who she thinks might be lying, there's no way to prove it. So she's just like, pay them all. Uh, I need to, I need to earn points where I can with these people. So as these 23 farmers file out, one of them remains. He's the last supplicant left in the Great Pyramid's Hall. Uh, his head is bowed, his eyes wet. Danny asks, what do you want? You want to talk to us? Come on up. He shuffles forward and he empties a sack, spilling out bones, claiming that they are the remains of a Drogon feeding. Danny's struck with horror as she realizes that these are not the bones of a lamb, a goat. They are the bones of a little child. And that's where the chapter ends. Ugh. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, <sighs> dragon's going to dragon. Exactly. A dragon is going to dragon. And I understand Danny doesn't have a lot of time, but what good are these dragons going to do overtaking Westeros if they're not trained to do anything? Yeah. Right? They're just these little free-range kids. And if you're a free-range parent, I'm not trying to say you're wrong. But <laughs> these are fire You're, you're wrong if, you're, people if your kids, things. by being free-range, are going to murder other children. <laughs> are going to eat kids. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are, there are lines, and then there are lines. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's she's got... We, we've talked about this on the cast before. Um, you know, just the she maybe isn't spending the time with her children, her dragons that she should. I think think we've spent some time talking about that before, but now it's become a negligence and a risk to society uh, that she's, that she's not doing what she needs to do. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's easy. She's got like, you know, this whole city to run, but man, this is, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. You got to carve out some time, Danny. You just got to do it. And stick to it, buddy. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, at the same time, it's like... I mean, the kid, for sure. Yeah, I'm not running a city. Well, so. yes, true. <laughs> I mean, the kid the kid is obviously horrible, but the sheep, I I, I kind of agree with her attitude. It's like, I, they, they do have to eat. I, right. I'm just paying for their buffet because they need to grow. I need, them, I need them to grow. <laughs> It's when you. It's like when you uh, when you're grocery shopping with your kid who's hungry. So you get them something <laughs> off the shelf, yeah. and you open it up, but you keep the wrapper and pay for it at the <laughs> checkout line. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I mean, she they, she has no plan really to feed them. So what, what did she think was going to happen? And, right. You know, but the kid thing is it's heartbreaking. Yep. And and it's one of those things you're like, oh, I don't even want to. Oh, just thinking about the next chapter that we're inevitably going to probably hear more of the story, and how heartbreaking that's going to be. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm with you. I mean, she's carve out time. She's got to get them to a hunting ground or something. They're apex predators, right? Yeah, they're gonna. Yeah. They're gonna eat meat. Dragon's gonna dragon. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, you know who could untangle uh, the mystery of the murders? Oh, Tyrion. Tell me. 
we were, we were just talking mm-hmm. in the previous That's chapter true. about uh, clever counselor. Uh, yeah, about Tyrion's role and how he could provide her clever counsel, and he'd be perfect at this. He did this in King's Landing, running around, you know, trying to, you know, figure out mm. who was pushing what buttons. Uh, he'd be perfect at doing this. Right. You're absolutely right, and it's exactly what she's missing. Part of the theme that I caught in this chapter is is an old radio hit from uh, 2000, it was probably like 2006 or so. Wow, uh, when so you over say 10 hit, years ago. When you say hit, my brain is like, how bad is this song going to be? <laughs> you know, this is one that was a top 40 radio hit, and I actually liked it. A lot of them I don't like, but this is a, a good song, and it stood the test of time. It's by uh, The Fray, Over My Head. Everyone knows I'm in Over My Head, Over My Head. Remember that song? I vaguely remember that song. Did the, I feel like The Fray it's had another one. song. They did Maybe a bigger one. Uh, the How to Save a Life song. That's the one. Yeah. yeah, this one. I thought this one was always. I thought Over it was a dang good head. song. Yeah, I and I heard it the other day, and I was like, "This is a good song." But anyways, I kind of feel like that was the theme of this chapter. They're out of their league. They're in over their head. You know, the Unsullied just can't do this job. The she mentions the Dothraki know about horses, but nothing else. <laughs> um, you think about Dario going to convince the Lazarine. I didn't bring this up in my chapter summary, but she sends Dario Naharis, this sellsword commander, to go treat with the peaceful Lazarine and try to get their support. That I am something he's got to not be qualified for. No, um, but at least he's charismatic and attractive. I guess. Like maybe. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he's yeah, he's certainly not an ambassador, but you know, he he came to talk to Danny in the tents. And was, you know, a capable, a capable conversant, I suppose. After he beheaded the other two yeah. sellsword commanders. Yeah. <laughs> well, he came uh, the time yeah, before I understand that what too. you're saying. He came right. the time before that when they were all Yes, there, but... you're right. You're right. But like the Dothraki subduing the hinterlands, like they're not peacekeepers. Yeah. <laughs> like they're going to, yeah. their idea of subduing is raping. So, uh, Danny training the dragons, even she's a little in over her head just because she doesn't know how to train dragons. You've got Barristan Selmy trying to train this new generation of knights. Well, he's just one knight and getting up there in age and it'll be years before these guys are ready. So I just feel like everything is just in over everybody's head. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're um, they're all doing stuff they've never done before. Um, with, I, I'd say with the exception of Barrison, I think Barrison knows how to teach people this stuff. He is old, absolutely but, sure. You know, he's yep. kind of he seems like he's an old guy with energy. You're right. You're I, I'm right. I'm really excited yep. about the about Barrison's night school and to see what fruit that that yields. I'm probably more right. excited than I should be. It's a silly little side story, but I kind of want to see if these kids like do they you know do they end up providing value to her on the field of battle at some point? Like, be cool. Yeah, just because it's completely foreign, right? Yeah. It's he's training them on this this Western way of doing things, right? Uh, clear out in the East, so it is interesting. But um, it, part of Danny's problem is she really doesn't have a plan, right? Other than 
to get better at ruling. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know if that's her plan. I, 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 I don't know what does she. So in the last, in the last book, Jorah tried to convince her to leave, right? Yeah. Gather up your shit mm-hmm. and get out of here. And she said, no, and I don't remember all the reasons, but yeah, I mean, it seems like she's, per- she certainly is getting valuable experience, but it seems like she's on some sort of crusade to teach these people how to live better. It's like, you know what? Yep. People live differently. And well, and yeah, I, you and I both emphatically agree that slavery is not a good thing, but is it morally correct to impose your beliefs on a place that doesn't hold to those beliefs? Right. Like how do you peacefully rule a place that doesn't want to be ruled by you? Yeah. It's a, this how is do you a, peacefully do that? This is an argument I've had all the time with just in my life with people about, mm-hmm. you know, glo- global, global politics and, and how much you interfere and the role right. technology plays now with the dissemination of information, how easy it is to influence others with, you know, how easy, you know, how easy it is to communicate now, you know, in, in, you know, hundreds of years ago, countries developed as they developed and they became, you know, more knowledgeable, more educated, more proficient at certain types of things. They, they, they kind of grew their society uh, in effective ways, but in limited ways to their Mm -hmm. own country. And every country kind of did that on their own. And now you have all these ways that these of the countries influence each other and try to like, you know, I'm going to force Sudan to grow more quickly than they're ready to grow. The right. Sudan isn't ready for some of those. I'm, I know nothing about the Sudan. I shouldn't have picked it, right? But it's just an <laughs> example. Like you, you can't, I get what you're saying. You can't yes. force a country to grow into these cultural understandings. They have to do that at their own rate, at, at, at mm-hmm. their own level of desire. Are they ready for it? You can't just... It's very difficult to just come in and be a conquering hero and and you know install your own leaders and say yep this is the right way to do things and you're just going to become like us and that's how it is it's, especially if they don't see any value in doing that but that that's you, exactly what i mean you have they have to grow as a country to gain right. that understanding themselves it can't and they be have to taught. see yeah right. they have to see oh this does work better for me to do this right. and that's where it goes back to danny not having a plan is she has nothing else to say to them. There's no benefit for removing slavery other than to the slaves, obviously, who are freed. But many of them, you know, are taking these below minimum wage jobs just to try to eat. Yeah. Um, so even them, in a way, they're not seeing the benefit to this new freedom that they have. Right. And uh, it's, it's a difficult argument, too. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm making the argument of you can't just go to these countries and do this. But at the mm-hmm. same time these people are suffering. You want to help them. Like you, like Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a tough thing, man. Like, yeah, it's a very tough thing. It is. I don't know what side I fall on. I put uh, the question here is, is his dar right? Like, does his dar have a point? And I don't know that I can answer that question. Yeah. Maybe just because of my natural abhorrence of slavery that I think a lot of us have, but you know, yeah, it should it's, be. It's not a black and white issue. It should be noted. To, uh, this is, you know, maybe George lifting again from history. It's the third time, I think, in this set of chapters that I've noticed it. Um, th- this happens all the time when you when you deter- stop slavery. The slaves just become 
extremely low paid workforce doing the same things they did before. Sure. You can't you can't just like wave a magic wand and get rid of slavery and expect these people Everyone's to, equal. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like they don't have skills. You know, like you need to you know, you and I were talking about the homeless problem uh earlier, right? Uh oh, at, yeah. at work and how off like, the air. Yeah, <laughs> off air, sorry guys. But it's a similar thing. You you can't just wave a wand and you know give these people a house which is a program i support but give them a house and that's it they need education they need programs they need you know in some some cases you know addiction right. recovery they need medical help like there's all sorts of other problems wrapped up in slavery and by comparison wrapped up in homelessness you can't just solve the problem by waving the wand and getting rid of slavery yeah yeah there's anyway. a lot of work that goes into it and in that that's the crux of everything she's dealing with here right She's trying yeah. to change culture very quickly, very forcefully, and but still under the guise of peace, right? Right. And I'm not saying she's misguided or she shouldn't do it, but she should understand why there's pushback, right? Mm-hmm. It's... Yep. It's interesting how you know everyone wants the throne in the Game of Thrones, and George gives us a pretty poignant look at how bad that can kind of suck sometimes everybody wants it gotta have cheeks of iron cheeks of iron yeah yeah well and she's just sitting on like a stone bench uh, yeah uh, i don't know that might be more comfortable than the actual uh throne she's questing after but iron throne yeah very good Uh, yeah a lot of interesting thoughts coming from this chapter yeah yeah the poor unsullied guy oh I didn't go into the mode of, or how, what, the shape, condition that his body was left in. Yeah. But uh, they uh, cut open his cheeks, right, to kind of widen his mouth, yes. so that they could shove. Was it goat, a goat genitalia? Yeah, goat, goat dong. In it. Yeah. That's how they found him with multiple stab wounds. Barristan predicts it was uh, six or more people. Yeah, and you know this guy's out visiting a brothel. Um, paying for cuddling basically like like you alluded to um yeah you know again she's freed these unsullied they've been taught their whole life to operate in a specific way and now she's like you can do what you want and they're learning how to become real humans right and this poor guy just seeking affection seeking human connection right and uh pays for it with his life ouch Yep. Yep. Well said. Another thing that's well said, women do not forget and women do not forgive. (laughs) His husband's yes, a resounding yes. Uh, I don't don't even remember who said that in the chapter. Me neither. It was Uh, in there, though. It was. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't don't remember either. But to me, that's that's shades of the... uh, Catelyn's men only solve problems with swords. It's a it's, it's a bit of too too much of a broad generalization for me. Mm, I know that Mrs. Thacker, I sure love her, and she forgives me often, but she don't forget, man. <laughs> oh. Mrs. Matt, don't forget. I love her for it. Uh, this is my first in a while, but I've got a word of the day. All right. Yeah, you've been carrying the word of the day duties for a while. Duty. And I'm cutting in with one that's probably not great, but... Word of the day! My word of the day 
is dansplaining. <laughs> Taken from the popular new term mansplaining. mansplaining. It's uh it's 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 when you're able to restate someone else's argument in a way that's uh, better than they could do it themselves. Nice quality. So it's being able to take what someone is feeling and trying to iterate and doing it even better. Nice. Nice. Dansplaining. Let's see. Uh, the morality things uh, and change in culture, that, those were the big things that I really wanted to touch on this chapter. Do you have anything else? Uh, I like his dar. Seems kind of charming. He kind of like, he just accepts her rulings. Like, all right. Uh, and kind of go with the flowy a little bit. Um, I had a little silly story about the rock car pelt. Uh, we don't need to go oh, into yeah. that. No big deal. Yeah. No, I think I think we covered it. Okay. You don't want to tell your Harakar story? No, no, it's it's not important. We've got right. plenty of SCAD stories in this cast already. Alright. Alright. Uh move on to Cersei? Let's move on to Cersei. Alright. Alluring eyes can get the guys with promises, lies, then cast aside. Can't she be the man she thinks her family needs? One brother she hates, with the other she mates. Those debts can she repay, Cersei Lannister. Cersei is having a rough day. Not only does she have to go to her father's wake and deal with a young King Tommen Waters whining about not being able to ride his horse in the rain, but, ugh, she has to wear black again, and that is so not her color. As they ride to the sept in a litter, Cersei worries over Tommen's meekness, his posture, and his crown not fitting well. I'm being a little bit unfair. She does really have a lot on her mind. She has offices to fill, some pesky adversaries to finish off in the war, a realm to rule, a newish high septon of Tyrion's appointment. Tyrion himself still on the loose. These Tyrells all over the city, and they can't be trusted and a twin that has ever been reliable that now grows more and more distant from her. Still, mourners gotta mourn, so Circe and dozens of other nobles pay their respects at the morning service for Tywin, kneeling before his quickly decaying but smiling corpse. The smile irks Circe, as Tywin wasn't known to wear one, but this is there's a bigger issue. This corpse is stinky, and everyone is starting to grow uncomfortable as the service comes to a close. But before she can escape back to the castle, she has to deal with all these mourners. From encouraging Lancel to take his seat in Derry, to discouraging the Stokeworths from naming Lawless's uh, bastard after Tywin, and making sure Tommen isn't corrupted by the entourage of Tyrell Roses. That's exhausting work for Cersei, man. Before plucking Tommen away, though, she must deal with Mace's overtures at the position of hand, which she deflects deftly. And also an agreement Tywin had apparently made for Garth Tyrell to become Master of Corn. Coin. Corn. Master of corn. Corn. Uh, which she deflects awkwardly, insisting that she's already spoken with Rosby about taking that post. She regrets the miscommunication. So, on the way back, Tommen rides uh, on his horse so that Cersei can actually make the offer to Rosby to take the Master of Coin <laughs> position that she says she's already given him. He can have it as long as he agrees that he accepted the offer yesterday. So, finally back in her room and ready to get some rest... When Kyvern shows up, there is just no rest for the wicked, and Cersei certainly is. Hmm. He relays that an underjailer disappeared the same night as Tyrion and Varys. Rugen is his name. Exploring his cell, Kyvern found a coin hidden in a secret compartment, but not just any coin. 
a gardener coin, Garth the Twelfth from House Gardener, the former rulers of the Reach, Tyrell Treasury, maybe. Also from Kyburn, the mountain is dying from Manticore venom that had been altered by a magic spell. Sphincter says what magic? Circe is dubious. Regardless, though, she's sick of the mountain screaming and asks that he be silenced. Kyburn makes a creepy counteroffer, though. Let me move him to the black cells so you won't hear him and I can continue my work. Circe is... okay with it. Shocker. Kyburn leaves, and shortly after, Kevin Lannister arrives. She offers him the position of hand, expecting Kevin's dutiful nature to kick in and accept graciously, but he balks. He misses his wife, and Lancel needs his help at his new seat at Derry. Still... He agrees to take the job for the family, to help the family, if he is also named regent and Circe retreats to the rock. Circe flips her lid, man. She won't hear of it. She needs to be with her son. But Kevin knows Tywin's thoughts before he died. Tywin didn't believe Circe belonged in King's Landing, that she's not fit to rule, and frankly, not even fit to raise Tommen. Ouch. Whoa. Wine in face. Kevin gets up to leave, his face literally dripping with wine, but threatens her first. He has money set aside. He has 400 knights loyal to him and money for other sellswords. Don't make me an enemy, he tells her. Then he offers her some free advice. Name me Castellone of the Rock if you won't leave, and pick Mathis Rowan and Randall Tarley for hand. Or, or Randall Tarley for hand, either one of them. Mace can't feel slighted if she chooses one of his bannermen, and actually, just honestly, they're effective men who can do the job. He's just trying right. to give Cersei some good advice. But once more, she takes the time to jab at him instead, uh, trying to inflict on his guilt. You would abandon Tommen? And he replies, Tommen has his mother. And his father, too, I think. Yikes. Oh, Kevin! Yeah. Throwing shade! Man, yeah. Uh, Kevin... The Stepping up. Ever the poster boy for, you know, right hand, silent right hand man that just does what he's told. Uh, yeah. Kind of stepping into the power vacuum that Tywin has left and really stepping up for his family to kind of be be the voice of reason that that he thinks Tywin would have been uh, with uh-huh. you know, where they are. So, yeah, pretty interesting. But doing it in kind of an un-Lannister way, right? Where Cersei's just lusting for personal power, anything that she can get. He's like, dude, I'm I'm tired. Like, I want to see my family. I want to help get my son's house ready. Like, I think of my dad who came over and helped us paint our house and everything when we bought it. He just wants to go help Lancel get his new castle in order, you know? Yeah. Like, he kind of just wants to be a husband and a father. Right. Um, while still helping House Lannister. And, uh, He's even like, you know what? I don't even have to be the hand. Name these guys hand. But do this right. right? we got a lot of things to fix. Do this right. Yeah. And I, I think Rant, or Kevin came out of this chapter looking really good. Yeah, other than the fact that he's soaked with wine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I mean, uh, you know, you, you kind of get notes in the previous books about Kevin that he's, you know, he's no dullard, you know, but he, right. but he clearly is just following following Tywin's lead. What's but, the line that Tyrion uh, thinks about him that Kevin never had a thought that Tywin, Tywin didn't have first. first? Yeah, or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but here, you know, this is evidence to the contrary, right? I mean, he's got 
he's got some ideas here mm-hmm. and you know could he be a good hand i don't know i i i kind of feel like Cersei was picking him because she felt she could control him but right but clearly he's not in for that game he's like nope nope i'm not uh-huh. even gonna let you try to control me if i take this job you're out of here and I liked that about him because I, I did talk about how he's he's tired and he just wants to be a dad and a father and everything and and you think that might equate to like a weakness um, and kind of being kind of wishy washy a little bit but no he's very bold in all his statements right uh, the stuff that you just said and <laughs> from what I saw of Joffrey you are as unfit a mother as you are a ruler like oh my gosh yeah. like not holding his punches at all or pulling his punches excuse me yeah <sighs> so yeah good job good job kevin um yeah i kind of i kind of desperately want him to steal casterly casterly rock from Cersei. right just go just go you know, take it that's interesting about kevin is he's very rich he he holds high offices and he's held in high regard as you know, he's Tywin Lannister's right-hand man, and he was capable at that. He wasn't like, uh, like some little lackey. Like yeah. I'm th- the the vision that comes to mind is Beauty and the Beast with Gaston, and what's his little fudgy guy that always hangs out with him? Yeah, LeFou. He's not a LeFou. He he got the job done capably. But interesting that we find out that Kevin never he doesn't hold any lands or anything. Yeah, like he's that. homeless. Yeah. He's a knight. Yeah. And that's interesting to me. Yeah. I don't know that we've encountered that very much. Yeah, but... I mean, we, we've talked about it, right? That, like, just being a knight, we, we kind of talked about it, I think, when we referred back to mm. the um, uh, Knight of the Seven Kingdoms. Is that what they called the compilation? Yep. Um, uh, about, about uh, you know, just being a knight doesn't get you anything. Right. <laughs> you got to go do stuff to get to get gold or you know to make a make a wage but you know that's not I mean, that's not kevin's problem he's got loads of money no and loads of loyalty he's got money influence yeah. Yeah. yeah but still usually power equates to land yeah and a lot of this right right and kevin doesn't have any yeah that's just kind of an interesting little wrinkle in into his uh into his success right so, uh, Olena has some, some gems in there. I kind of skipped over it in the summary, but, uh, as she does, as she's wont to do, uh, okay. she, so everyone's kind of holding their noses and trying not to bring it up, but the corpse stinks. Yeah. And Olena just straight up says it. I got a, I got a whiff of something there. Uh, there, there was something service. in there. <laughs> And she and and Cersei says something like, "Oh, an aroma," and she's like, "More like a stink, a stink." <laughs> oh, well, I know you're the bank in there. Uh, and just you know, totally not the right time, but but just needling Cersei for details about when is this wedding going to happen? Let's let's get this mm-hmm. going, you know, just like totally the wrong time and place for it. Yep. But, uh, she knows. Yeah. She knows that Cersei doesn't want it, and yeah, and she probably wants to get in there and actually do it publicly, like where they were. Yeah, right. Uh, she wants other people to hear it. Yeah, you know, she sly that way. And yeah. and Cersei, to her credit, didn't care to upset them right in public. Right. She's just like to to Mace. She's just like, nah, no, I don't want you as hand, and no, 
<laughs> your 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 Garth is not going to be my master of coin either. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Mace goes to great lengths to ensure he doesn't specifically ask to be hand, but he makes sure that she's aware that he isn't needed in the reach. Willis and Garland can handle that, and if we know anything about Willis and Garland, if they're in control, there will be many years of prosperity in the reach. They can. They can yeah. do the job. Uh, I love Willis so much. Yeah, but I love both of them. But Cersei just, like, doesn't take any of the hints and just pretends she doesn't know what he's talking about and doesn't offer him the position of hand. Uh, anyway, she, yeah, she's she's not afraid to do to play the game in public either, I don't think. Yep, I agree with you. Uh, so you, you brought up a, a point that I wanted to get back to where you talked about how Cersei wanted Kevin as hand, perhaps because she knows that or she thinks that she can control him. Yeah. Right. Well, it's a theory, but yeah, I I would agree with you because I think that's the way she acts with everybody. Yeah. And, and we're starting to see that that's starting to manifest itself. Even with Jamie, she wants Jamie to do things because she thinks she can control Jamie. Yeah. It's the same thing with her freaking kids because she can control them. Um, it's it's really heartbreaking to see it, uh, how she treats her kids as assets. Yeah. And I'll get to a greater point about that in a second. But, um, you know, Tommen can't get sick, she says. Why? Well, obviously because she's a mother and she doesn't want her child to get sick, right? No, because Marcella is in Dorn. So if Tommen dies, she can't get Marcella back. Right. That's her line of thinking. Um. She uh, needs to make Tommen's crown smaller, not because it's like hurting him or anything, but just so it fits his head better and so he looks better. Yeah. Uh, side note, I thought that was an interesting contrast with Danny's statement about how a crown shouldn't fit comfortably. Yeah. Right? Comparing those two. And, and it really bugs me about Cersei. But then you look back at it and you go, how capable is she of pure love considering her circumstances growing up? You yep. know, and the way she was treated by Tywin and the way Tywin treated her. She probably has some memories of her mother. And for all we know, Joanna was a loving mother. But she died when Cersei and Jaime were fairly young. And she grew up with a father like Tywin, who she said, and I wrote this quote down, his eyes could see inside you, could see how weak and worthless and ugly you were down deep. Think yeah. about like yeah. how sad is it that that's, that's what she that's thinks his eyes are seeing. Yeah, right. Like we, you know, if you asked you or I what we see when we look at our kids, it's what they can become and how wonderful they are and the potential they have. What she got from Tywin was how weak and worthless and ugly she was, and so I give Cersei, you know, a lot of crap for the way that she treats her kids, but. How much of that has just been from her experience as a kid and looking at, at her parents, you know, or her dad? Yeah, some some for sure. Um I think I think a dad will will talk a little bit about this, but you know Tabula Rasa, you know, the, the nature nurture stuff. Uh mm. you know, you you are to some degree, you are a blank canvas when you come into the world and you're written upon by the experiences you get and sure she's been written all over by disapproval and judgment from Tywin 
and mm -hmm. you know being told she's not good enough and being treated like an object yeah or an asset right and yeah you become you become how you're treated right we've talked about that before so yeah i mean she she's she's very clearly um become somewhat like like tywin in that way as well she's looking in this chapter very obviously looking for allies uh you know to you know favor them and give them power and remove power you know as subtly as she can from her enemies she brings mm -hmm. up uh lady taina uh meriwether i think it is yep. um and uh you know she sees her as a possible ally why well she like her she does like her and I, th I think one of the things that she's drawn to about her is that she seems she seems eager for power. And what does that mm. mean? Well, people that are eager for power that don't have it might be willing to give you things or give in or, or, or let you control them. Right? Let you control them. Yeah, and, going back to what we've talked about. Yeah, yeah. and I think, she's, Good point. I think that's what she sees in, in Lady Taino or what she thinks she sees maybe. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, hmm. you want to talk about Varys? Sure. Um, what do you want to talk about with Varys? Oh, I don't, well, he's gone. Um, he gone. You know, we we talked mm -hmm. we talked before about in, in the I think it was our last episode how mm -hmm. Varys wasn't there. It's very obvious he's not there dealing with the aftermath of Tywin's death. How's he going to explain that when he comes back? Oh, he's not coming back. He's gone. Uh -huh. uh, we don't know where. Um, he clearly he had an escape plan. Probably he had several escape plans um but uh yeah interesting he's he's gone now yep he gone and yeah i don't know if i have anything more to say about that yeah <laughs> it hasn't already been said but um so so it's not one of well, well let's let's ahead. talk about rugen's coin real quick uh so the coin they found implies that he was either under the employ of the tyrells or that Rugen wanted seriously to think he was, or that Kyburn made the whole thing up and wants wants seriously to to think that he was, or or maybe that Rugen's just a coin collector. Um, I don't know. I it, that that feels like a like too obvious of a tell. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You have thoughts on this? Well, we don't have to be all spoilerific in this we know that well i'll cut this out if we need to but we know rugen is Varus, right i think jamie says as much in the next chapter can we yeah we can say that on this normal portion of the podcast yeah i think, I think jamie says it in the chapter that you're going to cover next doesn't he uh probably I think he does yeah but if you haven't figured it out yet it's pretty obvious uh, you could take, you know, the descriptions of Rugen and everything and um, going back to clear back to Game of Thrones when Eddard Stark uh, meets Varys in disguise. At, in the Black Cells. The descriptions match up and stuff like that. <clears throat> so Rugen is Varys. <laughs> and we know clear back also from Game of Thrones that part of Varys's job in King's Landing, uh, according to his chat with Illyrio, is to sow discord. Yeah. in Westeros, uh, particularly among the ruling class. And so 
to me, a plausible explanation would be planting this coin that's obviously from the Reach, from House Gardener, the Tyrells, in an attempt to lightly and uh, subtly sow discord between House Lannister and House Tyrell. Yeah. Maybe that's too simple. No, I, I think that's it. I just, I'm, it's, it's surprisingly unsubtle. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would think even... It's subtle and it's not. <laughs> right? It's like, uh-huh. he's going to leave a single coin? This seems way too obvious. I don't want to go for that bait. But... Um, right. Right. Yeah. That's all I can think of. And how did that coin pass the inspections that were done in Rugen's cell before and was only found by Kyburn? Yeah, right. You know? Which leads you. You mentioned that a possible. It's possibly it was planted by Kyburn, but I can't think of any motivation Kyburn would have for planting it. So, yeah, no, I can't know. either. All right. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with the coin? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, in fact, I don't think I have anything else in this chapter other than uh, I feel like I've used the word creepy a billion times. I'll go with icky. Uh, open the bodies of the living to study death. This is what Kyburn. Oh, you're a creeper. Dude. This is what Kyburn got in trouble for. Yeah. Opening the bodies yeah. of the living to study death. Yuck. Yeah. Uh, oh, speaking of Kyburn, um, a little Dr. Matt, but I'm not a Dr. Matt because I'm actually lifting this from a, a Reddit post that I found. Um, where this guy, I think we might've referred to this Reddit post before where this guy, let me get his Reddit name real quick, but he went through and he tried to, I don't know if he's like in medical school or a doctor or something, but he went through and tried to diagnose, uh, some, some potential medical issues that some of the characters have where it's illnesses or things like that. Uh, Sasquatch. Physical and Mental Illness in A Song of Ice and Fire from four years ago. And he looked at Gregor Clegane and he included with hyperlinks to articles about these specific things. So I did read it apart from the the actual post. I didn't just take his word for it. Uh, Gregor probably suffers from something called acromegaly. Megaly? It's a condition where the pituitary gland has a disorder and it's often associated with gigantism. So when you're really big like Gregor, uh, it's basically where your body's making you grow too fast and everything. And one of the big time symptoms of it is really bad headaches, debilitating head pain. All right. So which uh, he said that, uh, Kyburn said that Gregor was like, chugging milk of the poppy yes because of the headaches that he constantly had so i don't know if germ was like in touch with his medical conditions enough to know that but it fit quite nicely yeah sounds like a good fit yeah that's uh Anyways. that's an awesome uh Reddit post i want to read that i don't think i've seen that yeah he talks about let's see some of the other ones he's got he's got uh i can send it to you um hodor and his kind of simple-mindedness, uh, Joffrey Baratheon. Waters, um, please. <laughs> sociopath is basically what he says for him. Mad King Ares, Liza Tully, 
Robert Aaron, Sansa, Tyrion, Maester Aemon. Wow. Uh, He goes through a whole bunch of different people. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. All right. Uh, I did have one thing I wanted to bring up about Jamie, but I think it'd be better brought up in the next chapter summary. Cool. All right. Let's go for it. Would you know that he's deadly in a fight and a smile so wide to get cheating at the palm of his hand? Jamie Lannister got a thing for sister, gonna keep it quiet, so we'll push a kid out a window. And when that king's lying, dead, it doesn't matter, reason bottom line is this the treason. And deep inside, could there be something only if you could see a hero? Could that be? Said Jamie, said Jamie, said Jamie Lannister, say it again, said Jamie, said Jamie. Said Jamie Lannister. Uh-uh-uh. Okay, Jamie. This is Jamie's first chapter, POV, in A Feast for Crows. And it happens right after the Cersei one, so it's cool that they're right there together. So Jamie Lannister, remember, Lord Commander of the King's Guard has committed to, rather than guarding, you know, the king, to standing a seven-day round-the-clock vigil over his deceased father. Okay. quality use of time. Right. The aches of standing in his armor are there. The exhaustion is there from not sleeping. uh, And the stank, already mentioned, coming off Tywin, is very much there. Uh, As we discussed in our last episode a little bit it kind of appears that jamie maybe is feeling a little bit of guilt not grief certainly but perhaps this tinge of of guilt he claims to tywin's corpse that he never meant for this to happen and that he would have stopped if he'd known Uh, it kind of comes to me like i've I've gone back to my kids a lot this episode and i apologize but it's like when uh, you accidentally well it happened to me just the other day where I turned around to walk, but one of my kids had stepped in front of me and I like kind of stepped on their foot when I turned around, you know, and it hurt them and they started crying and stuff. And my initial thought, my initial thing to say with them was, well, if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't moved, I wouldn't have stepped on you, you know, but really I'm just, I'm deflecting the blame, but really I'm just feeling guilty. And that's why I'm saying that. Uh, That's (laughs) 100% their fault, Matt. You're justified. (laughs) I know, I know, but they're kids. Uh, But anyways, um, Jamie does concede that it all started with him. Uh, In fact, we find out that he persuaded Varys at knife point to carry out Tyrion's rescue. And he did it to, as the Lannister does, pay his debts. He felt, you know, guilty about Tysha and everything. And this was his way of maybe paying that debt. And just as Tyrion was gone, so was Varys, as we talked about. So whether he's celebrating with Tyrion or dead at Tyrion's hand, Jaime has no idea where Varys is, and neither do we. Jaime had, uh, we find out that Jaime had gone and under, or interviewed the chief underjailer for information, but found out little more than that the whole prism system, prison system at the Red Keep was a money pit. And that Rugen, who was in charge of the Black Cells, didn't come around that much. 
And we also find out that the two turnkeys who had been drugged to get Tyrion out had later been killed by members of Jaime's Kingsguard at Cersei's command. Lovely. Uh-oh. As Major Payne puts it, You are undermining my authority! <laughs> you ever see Major Payne? I'm so sad that that made it onto our cast. <laughs> yes, I know. I know of Major Payne. Uh... Although this incident dramatically calls into question who the Kingsguard really answers to, but it does give Jamie the chance to set the record straight. You ask me first before you kill anybody that my sister says to kill. So later that night, well into his vigil, Cersei sneaks away to visit him. And there in the sept, uh, in the presence of their dead dad she recounts her conversation with uncle kevin how he'd refused to be hand and how he'd hinted at knowing about her and jamie being lovers she then pleads with jamie to be the hand of the king desperate for someone she can trust and as scat already pointed out control uh, jamie also refuses her despite her pleas reaffirming that he was made for a battlefield not a council chamber cersei as we can imagine as volatile as she is gets quite cranky at this point claiming that she was a fool to ever love him and as cersei does she storms away so the next morning with tywin's body quickly decomposing and stinking all the more the local nobility returned to the sept baylor to pay more respect to tywin eight-year-old king tommen unable to bear the sight and smell of his dead grandfather has a little episode he wretches in front of everybody his crown falls off as he does so and then he just he can't stand it the poor little guy just takes off for the exit he's out of there uh, Jamie abandons his vigil to go after little Tommen for a little, as we know, father-son chat. It, the chat is going actually fairly well as far as father-son chats go for a guy who's never really had one. Until Cersei shows up, uh, of course, criticizing Tommen as she's wont to do. Jamie tells her to, like, lay the F off. And before tensions can rise any further... Our buddy Mace Tyrell shows up, as he does, feigning concern for the young king and asking if there's anything he can do to help. Jamie cuts in, saying that there is, that the queen and king would be honored if he'd join them for supper. <laughs> Mace accepts, as Mace, of course, would. And as he leaves, Cersei turns to Jamie to rip him a new one. But again, though, Jamie gets in front of her freakout and states that she needs the Tyrells. We've heard echoes of that already from Uncle Kevin, meaning she needs Mace. Jamie's plan is this, wine and dine Mace, then send him off on a mission, specifically send him to capture Storm's End, which we remember is well-nigh impregnable, right? He either succeeds and delivers Storm End to, to her, or he dies in the process, and either way, Cersei wins. Either she's got Storm's End or she's got Dead Mace Tyrell. Both options sound great. Uh, and besides, he'll be out of her hair while he's off doing that. Um, to Cersei's reminder that Mace won't leave the capital until Tommen is wed to Marjorie, Jamie's like, cool, just do it. Get this marriage going. Anything to get Mace out of the capital. At that point, a sly smile crosses Cersei's lips as she remarks to Jamie how much this plan sounded like something Tywin would come up with. 
And that's where the chapter ends. That, oof, Tywin's body is not doing well. No. no. And the whole, it's just gross, right? <laughs> yeah, we might talk a little bit about that in Davos After Dark. Um, we should just leave it for then. Yeah. Uh, well, but yeah, it is, it is gross. Uh, I feel for Tommen. Um, right. You know, I'm surprised more people weren't losing it. Um, but no, this kid, he just, man, he just catches nothing but grief from his mom and he can't do anything right. Poor kid. And you know, Jamie, father Jamie is the best Jamie. He, uh, that was, it was a little, a good little pep talk, you know, it's this tender. Is, this is how you get through it. You know, man can uh-huh. do what a man needs to be able to do, he can do it, you know? It's kind of a... Same advice he gave Brienne about going away inside. Yes. Some would say is not the best advice, psychologically or whatever, but... Some would say, but apparently it's something Tommen already does, or did. Yeah. I would go away oh, inside so when, sad. Joff, when so Joffy sad. would... When Joffy would what? And then it gets cut off. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, his little Tom and is such a good kid. I've read, it's probably on Reddit or maybe on the wiki or, or uh, the message board or something. Some mm-hmm. people were just saying that this was when when Joffrey would torture the cats. With yeah, his With, pets. Maybe that's yeah. when Tommen would go away inside. But mm-hmm. it, it also had shades of shades of the Greyjoy stuff. Maybe I, hopefully it right. wasn't abuse. Yeah, hopefully it wasn't abuse like that. I I don't think. Joffrey wasn't a sexual creature, uh, but he could have been a violent kind of abuse creature. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's it's so weird that Cersei would get so frustrated at Joffrey when he was alive and be and she'd tell people like, I can't control him and stuff like that. But yet all she can tell Tommen is like, Why can't you be more like your brother? Yeah. Oh man, she's mixed up, dude. Yeah. She's mixed up. Yeah, she's yeah. She's just all about manipulation, and in this case, it's like Tommen's so, in her mind, so weak that he's not even useful to manipulate because mm-hmm. he can't, like, he can't accomplish anything, and so she wants him to kind of grow up. Yet, she, but... yet when Joffrey was alive, she'd have given anything to manipulate him. Yes, right. Well, to she be did able manipulate to. him, but not not as much sure. as she wanted. But yeah. Right. I mean, she yeah she's just all about manipulation. She 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 comes to Jamie. Uh she she dresses for Jamie. Mm-hmm. Uh kind of like how she dressed for Ned. Not 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 oh, I mean yeah. they have the same clothes but for the same purpose. She dresses in a way that she thinks she will be able to elicit some sort of reaction, right? Where for Ned it was right. like the hunting greens kind of very outdoorsy plain kind of north woodsy kind of if you want to look at it that way and for Mm -hmm. jamie it's something much more personal and direct something that will remind him of the first time they kind of got their swerve on grappled yeah i think is the term obara sand uses yes (laughs) yes and uh she fails again the 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 dress kind of doesn't work or doesn't doesn't do enough to get her point across i guess you have to bring more than that to the table sister yeah, but but you know what? It, I think it it did work a little bit. Um, you know, Jamie, Jamie up to the up to this point, um, you know, for the last his last several chapters of the last book and and now, kind of was giving the impression like I'm done with the family, I'm doing the Kingsguard thing, leave me out of it. Mm-hmm. But after this visit, 
Jamie gives her this advice with Mace, right? And he's he's kind of yeah. being more helpful than he's been, right? It's mm-hmm. that's kind true. of like a guilt help. Maybe he feels guilty about his hand and what happened with Tywin, and mm-hmm. you know feels guilty about seriously having to run the show all by herself. Um, and well, and I wonder if part of it is affection for his son too. Could be, could be. and wanting to keep Tommen safe and and everything. That could be Jamie's is, affection is, this, is a different sort of affection. It is. Is it this chapter yeah. though, where he kind of yells at Cersei, "They're not my. He's not my son." Was that was that yeah, previous chapter? I no, I th- I'm pretty sure that's a different one. Oh. But yeah, yeah. Well, that happens he, at some he, point. Everyone, he does, sorry about that. He does talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. He's so he's he's giving some advice. He's definitely stepping outside of that traditional Kingsguard role. Unless, like mm-hmm. you said, it kind of falls to protecting the king, maybe. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, two little things that maybe don't mean anything, uh, but I I liked thinking of them in this way. I can imagine our friends over at the Close the Door podcast would, would like these thoughts. Uh, Jamie growing back his beard. Cersei notices it in her chapter. That's when I said I was going to bring up in this one. He's, she she notices a stubble and she doesn't like the way he looks with the beard but nevertheless he's growing it back yeah and then he he has a real poignant thought in his chapter it says he had more feeling in the hand he'd lost than in the rest of the body that remained to him yeah because that um, vigil's wearing on him right yes he's tired yeah but just just the thought of those two things the severed hand and the beard were things that were a part of him when he was going through that terrible uh, experience at uh, Vargo Hote and his crew's um, mercy uh, with Brienne. And I, I don't know if that's something that's kind of indicative of him trying to get to back get, to that place mentally, getting back to that mental place. And the beard is manifest of that, you know, throughout this story. And I think probably in, in history, growing a beard for a man is a sign of a boy becoming a man, right? When he can grow the facial hair. Yeah. And is, is that Jamie trying to get to that type of man, whether he knows it or not, or whether he consciously is doing it for that reason or not? Uh, I don't know, but it was stuck out to me as, as as common things that were around when he was with Brienne. Yeah. I didn't think about that. I like that. that. But yeah, I like it. Uh, I do. I do need to eat some crow by the way. I think uh, it was the last episode or uh, it was Tyrion's first chapter when he's, when he's escaping. And I was Mm. talking about how, or maybe it was Cersei's first chapter when they find the body. I was talking about how Jamie doesn't have any regret or guilt about it. And uh, clearly Mm. I was wrong. Uh, You see it in this chapter that he has some. Um, So, crow eaten sorry for misleading everyone no it was it was a little bit but it kind of seemed like it was more of him trying to justify his actions rather than you know out of any actual love and affection for his dad well if i wouldn't if i would have known that Tyrion was going to come kill you i would have stopped him right (laughs) but it doesn't it also doesn't seem like something he dwells on too much either I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but it is there. How about the Kingsguard just killing those two guys? Like, <laughs> what was it, his last chapter or close to his last chapter in the last book where he, like, explicitly tells – it's when they have the meeting of the Kingsguard and all of his brother, all of his Kingsguard brothers show up. 
And yeah. he like explicitly tells them, he's talking about Joffrey, not seriously, but he's like, if he gives you a stupid fucking order, come to me first. <laughs> Talk and, like, to me about this. And here they are doing it again. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, clearly Cersei's pets, but yeah, come on, man. Well, he's not being the that Kingsguard commander that they necessarily want to follow, right? He's not being the chummy Kingsguard commander. He's he's shaking and stirring things up, and and you know that that's going to be met with resistance. Oftentimes, when people are very set in their ways and set in their way of doing things, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did. This is my first uh, complaint of the reading order. Hmm. I don't know if you thought about this, but I feel like Tyrion. Tyrion stuff is happening after this. This is this is Tywin's body being, you know, I see put to rest, and uh-huh. Tyrion's journey from King's Landing was like seven days or something. Right. That's um, true. I f- I feel like these chapters should have come before the first Tyrion chapter. Yeah, that's true. But I do like how they, you know, they'll kind of put Jam right together this one and and, and Cersei's. It's clear yeah. they're kind of happening simultaneously. I wonder, I'm trying to think now, is any of Tyrion's stuff, does it help us understand these Cersei and Jamie chapters better? And I don't feel like it does. No. So that's a good I, catch. Yeah, I don't think, I, I mean, I don't think so. It, that's a good point. Uh, part of the part of the reading order that we've done uh, through uh, the Game of Owns list uh is it is it is meant to be more chronologically accurate combining right. the two books but they also try to do it kind of based on arc and um right. flow of the story and so yeah uh-huh. if 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 they felt like there's an interesting piece of information here that would help you gain in another chapter that they might do it for that reason but yeah right. I didn't really but I can't really think of anything yeah and I may just be missing something but yeah yeah uh, kind of a side note, but uh, Jamie mentions in his talk with Renifer Longwaters. <laughs> that guy's like Renifer brings it up. That guy's great. I right? found a report. Lord. It's all in my reports. <laughs> my books are good. And then and then they good. actually check the books, and it's still got the it's wrong. It's still got the prisoner there. <laughs> uh, well, and he makes it sound like this super hard job, and we find out that there's like a handful of yes, people in yeah. the. <laughs> in the cells at any given time like he's got like six guys he needs to keep track of yeah i love that i love that guy he's hilarious he was great but we find out that the crown is paying wages for 20 turnkeys but they only have 12 on staff and they don't even need that many no they don't (laughs) but the wages are being paid now we've talked about ways that littlefinger is earning money and i can guarantee that this is a way that littlefinger is earning money yeah uh, and and you wonder, well, that's only, you know, that's only, you know, the 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 salaries of what would it be eight turnkeys that you're pocketing for yourself. But how many other departments yes, or right. areas of the kingdom was Littlefinger doing this in? Right. Smart, smart, buddy. SMRT. Yep, SMRT. Uh, let's see. So yeah. Good on Littlefinger. And he's probably, you know, they mentioned a lot of the appointees to different positions were done by Littlefinger. So he's probably getting kickbacks from them, too. Yeah. And he's just he's just rolling in it. So. Yeah. An effective Get man. on you, Baelish. Yep. Yeah. Knew what he was doing. 
There, there was a, a little interesting bit in there. Uh, oh, you can bring up Rhaegar? Yeah. Yes, Rhaegar please. Rhaegar and Jamie. Yep, that well, was a hard cut from my summary, but I figured we'd talk about it, and it didn't have much to do with the actual plot of the chapter. So, but yeah, thank I'm, you for bringing it up. I'd forgotten. Two just kind of interesting observations. Just mm-hmm. Rhaegar kind of seemed to like Jamie. I thought the way, yeah. the way he was talking to him, almost um, kind of confided in him, right? Yeah, and two. Ares was totally right to be suspicious of Rhaegar. <laughs> he was totally scheming to do to, yep. to overthrow him, to depose him. Yep. So I didn't bring it up in my chapter summary. So for those who are a little removed from the chapters and don't remember, uh, Jamie recalls a brief conversation that he had with Rhaegar as Rhaegar was leaving to the Trident to go fight. Um, it was the last time Rhaegar and Jamie spoke. Or Jamie said, I want to come with you. I want to fight. Rhaegar bluntly and honestly tells him, you can't. My dad wants you here to basically use you as protection to keep you from, to keep Tywin from doing anything out of fear of actually harming you. And we know how well that worked out. Um, uh, where was I? And, and, but then he says to Jamie, just as he's kind of leaving, he kind of leans into him and he's like, but when I get back, I'm going to call a council and we're going to make some changes around here. We're going to make some changes. Of course, that never happened because Rhaegar dies. But, yeah. So, Rhaegar was a little schemy. And good yeah. on him. Because Ares was a freak. Yeah, yeah he's certainly, certainly not uh, the most stable nope. of leaders. All right. Uh, I've done a really terrible job of marshalling time. You got anything else for this Jamie chapter? We should move on to after uh, to Davos. He stopped Dr. marshalling time after like season one of Davos Fingers. <laughs> <laughs> well, some some people tried more than others. I've always been pretty Me bad too. at it. My theory is, Kalasar. My theory is, if you guys get sick of listening, you'll just right. turn it off. But otherwise, why not just talk about all the stuff we want to talk about? And if it goes three hours, and it goes three That's hours. I am too, my friend. Especially when it's on a so, weekend anyway. night like this, where. Yeah. Uh, well, there's the idea of sleeping in. That rarely actually happens. You've got wee Never. ones running around up at the crack of dawn. Anyways. Yeah, Eowyn goes, every every weekend day, Eowyn goes to work out at like 6 mm. in the morning. And so, uh, I'm yeah, I'm up with the kiddos at 6. Of course you are. Uh, doing yeah. that thing. Well, should we Davos after dark this crap? Yeah, let's do it. So, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, we're going to go and do some dad talk now. That's Davos After Dark. Uh, so, uh, if you don't want to be spoiled, because anything goes in this discussion, just jump off now um, and uh, join us next week for our next Feast with, Feast with Dragons episodes. You can find um, find that reading list on our site, davosfingers.com. Just look look at our, uh, our uh, schedule mm-hmm. there. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you yep. in three weeks. But if you want to stick around and get spoilery, then here we go. Davos after dark. So, uh, let's talk about. Let's talk about. Let's talk about Tywin's decaying body. Okay. Yeah. Let's get that one out. Sure. So, uh, there's a theory out there. Reasonably well put together. I thought I had noted. Crap. We'll we'll tweet out where you can find this. Um, I think it I think it first came from Reddit, um, but uh, 
basically the idea is that uh Oberyn poisoned mm-hmm. Tywin uh before he fought the mountain um and that that poison is was slowly uh was slowly killing Tywin yeah. already uh and that that is the cause for his uh body kind of not lasting as well as people expect and why it's sticking the place up right. so bad because he was kind of already dying on the inside and was a foul mm-hmm. so um there's there's some there's some evidence in there um it talks about uh tywin did have dinner with oberon and mace um either the night before the battle or or uh, uh maybe two nights before i can't recall um and 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 oberon makes a comment about you know tywin won't live forever and um mm-hmm. you know th- there's the fact that Tywin is sitting on the shitter when when uh when Tyrion finds him and maybe is is dealing with trying to you know having some, <laughs> some bowel issues, issues basically yes. from from mm-hmm. the poison. So it's it's uh it's loose. I, I wouldn't say it's like really really well supported, but it's there. I I uh, you know, I'm about 50/50 right. on it. The I think it's an interesting one. Um one thing that gets to me is we know that Doran and Oberyn, who, you know, in some ways they, <laughs> Oberyn would go off book a little bit, but. Yeah, a lot <laughs> But also Doran feels, at least he thinks, that they were pretty closely aligned in their overall goal. And one of those goals was to strip Tywin of everything he held dear and really just bring him down to nothing before killing him, right? Mm-hmm. And. Right, so that would and and that it feels like that doesn't really happen here. Uh, the other thing is, I I kind of just did a cursory look into. I don't want to call it research. I feel like when I use the term research, that means that I really like wrote a college paper on it, and I didn't. I loosely looked into you know decomposing bodies and stuff, and a body left out in that condition, and obviously we don't know what kind of embalming and body preservation methods were taken and used. I can imagine they were fairly medieval back then. Um, it wouldn't be uncommon for a body sitting out in the open uh, to start to stank after four or five days, right? Like Stuff starts to set in and, you know, you get the liver mortis stuff going on. Blood starts falling down to the lowest level of the body and things start to just fall apart after four or five days and yeah from what i read is that it's not uncommon (laughs) so is is tywin's vigil longer than i mean the only so that sounds that sounds Uh good it's just that they note it here and they never note the stench of the corpse for any of the other right for any of the other you know funerals we've seen is Tywin's what? What else makes Tywin's abnormal? I don't know. Is it longer? I, I know they talk about like a seven day and seven night vigil. Uh-huh. Maybe they don't do that for everybody. Maybe everybody else is done. Yeah, because they a don't day. mention it about like Joffrey's body, right? Or Roberts, mm-hmm. or well, yeah. and and the the stankiness that they bring up, and you mentioned Olena brings it up, and others do, but no one talks about it like as if it's compared to other bodies it stinks worse than anyone else they say there's a stink there 
but they don't say like this is yeah. worse than a stink of any other body I've been around. This is the worst stink I've ever experienced. They're just like there's a stink going on. Um, so it doesn't seem like it's like an out of the ordinary smell, although it's there and it's mm. present and it's pungent as it would be at that point. Um, I I kind of feel like George is focusing on the stink as as a literary device. As a yeah, yeah, device, the, the man yeah, who is so powerful has been brought down low into to really nothing to the point that he stinks. So, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's a that's a reasonable argument. A literary device, but the character I mean, the characters do. They note do. It yeah, they regularly. do note it, and they don't note it right. other times. But okay, well, lot, lots of lots of uh, confounding evidence there that that. Uh, Maybe maybe it's just normal for that to have happened. All right, so uh, take that theory if you want it. It's there. Leave it yeah. behind if you don't. It's there. Uh, okay, so how about let, let's talk about uh, let's talk about Sansa and uh, hmm. and Arya. Kind of already did a little bit. I jumped the gun a little bit during the main portion of the cast. And apologize for that. But... We did a little bit, and and we also talked about uh, Arya being in this place that is for mm-hmm. no one. Um, we know we know where Arya goes here, and she's got to consistently answer this question of who she is, and she's got to convince them that she believes it when she says mm-hmm. no one, which is really hard for her. I think it underscores the part about her trying to fiercely hold on to that identity right. she has. Um, but compare that to Sansa and taking on her new identity. Yeah, and like I said, kind of in the main portion of the cast, it... Sansa, it feels like she's still holding on to something, right? She does it in a way where she's like almost like waiting for something good to happen. And you could call that naive or you can call it whatever you want. But it feels like she's never, she's holding on to Littlefinger until such time that she can be rescued or something. That's kind of the impression I get. Um, whereas with Arya, she's she's drifting wherever she drifts to. And it's led her to this, which is very interesting as for all the points that you've said. But, um, yeah, Sansa's Sansa's interesting. I never I never put these two things on par before you brought it up. Um, Sansa is forced to change her physical appearance. She's forced to lie to everyone else about a new mm-hmm. identity um, with specific details. Um, Arya is just told to forget who she is it's true it's a little yeah, bit Sansa's different becoming someone Sansa's else is allowed to remember right but she's allowed to remember right. everything about who she is she's not encouraged to like leave all that behind uh-huh. it's just you know be this person right. for for now Arya's is basically being encouraged to become someone right. else to lose herself yeah, yeah at the same time but but i, I also fear though uh, you know, in a, in a in a twist of irony, maybe um, Arya, who is being told to actually lose herself and become someone else, I think maintains herself. Mm-hmm. Whereas I can kind of see some of these things in Sansa, especially with the the uh, the release chapter for Wins, mm-hmm. um, that she's kind of starting to relish. She's enjoying it, bit. yeah, yeah, and and. And maybe she'll become this new identity, even though she wasn't told she, you know, that that she had to leave all that behind, or, or 
you know, seem like she'd be able to, like she's maybe choosing to leave right. it behind to, to become this, this other thing. And, you know, she's, she's being an active player in the game, which she, that's, a, that's been a theme for her of, you know, this is a game and what type of, what type of a piece yeah. are you? And, um, you know, this wins chapter indicates that she's a, she's a piece that's playing. And she, she, we saw and, it in the last episode where she felt very uncomfortable and that she wasn't up to the task, but when it came time to tell the lies that Littlefinger had coached her to tell, it came very easily. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yep. Um, on the surface, so I talked about Arya Drifton. I used that comparison a couple of times. But I do feel that uh, you, you bring up some really good points. And to add on to that, Arya has – she has an anchor that can bring her back to her starkness that I feel Sansa doesn't have. And that anchor is Nymeria. Uh, mm. And I feel that even if... I thought you were going to say Needle. That too. Oh, uh, that's a good one. Nymeria's That's starter. a really good one. And, and and that's a more immediate one that she's got with her all the time is kind of her reminder. Um, but I feel like if she really gets into this no one thing and she really becomes this nobody and really starts to lose that identity and she's not able to hold on to it, I feel like she's going to get back to Westeros and what's going to bring her back is, is some sort of event with Nymeria, right? That can always wolf, bring her back. Wolf dreams at, were at least. Right. We know she continues to have those wolf, wolf encounters. Um, I think there's a couple yeah. instances that we're going to come to in our coming chapters where she has little wolf dreams. But I feel like that's kind of her anchor to who she is, is Nymeria. And Sansa doesn't have that anymore. Lady right. gone. Oh. Lady gone. Lady yeah. gone gone. She gone. Yeah. Gaga gone gone. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, anything else on Sansa Arya? So. You think Sansa's going to die? I had that thought. I don't know if Sansa's going to make it out of this, man. Uh, I hope she does. Um, I do too. I like her. I'm sorry. I mean, not die. I hope she makes right. it out. Um, I just want. I just want her arc to be, to be really cool. Mm-hmm. She she's one of those people that I think could have a really effective arc. Right. Um. But no, I don't. Yeah, I don't want her to die. <laughs> I hope not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about in the last episode about is Littlefinger playing her or is she playing him? She may not know that she's playing him, but he has a weakness for her right. and she could end up being his downfall. So that'd be really cool. You know, yeah. Is he using her and, and willing to sacrifice her? And, she, you know, she could she could end up, you know, pining for the fjords or or is he too attached and, and maybe she'll be his downfall? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah. Come on, wins! Um, Come on, wins! We kind of talked about the untrained dragon stuff a little bit already, mm-hmm. um, but you've asked: is is Hazea? That's the the girl's name, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is her death a precursor of things to come? And well, what what do you mean by that? Uh, she didn't mean for innocent little Hazea to die. And I worry that with the dragons really not having any direction or training, Drogon's coming around, right? She's she's off and she's and it's because she's able to spend time with Drogon that they're building a relationship. Imagine that if you spend time with, with your kids, stuff works out usually. Um But she's having these uh 
you know, I just worry they get to Westeros and she wants to use them as tools to take over Westeros and they end up causing more harm than good, just like they're doing in Marine, uh, burning up innocent people and small folk and, and, uh, just becoming these tools of mass destruction rather than a way to help her win her throne. But I, but I, but you're stopping the bomb from becoming, if I can borrow from speed. I mean, <laughs> dragons are weapons of war. I mean, that, that's what they are. Right. If they're going to help her achieve the throne, that's how they're going to do it. And, <laughs> you and, know? and so, one of the lines that she's been fed, though, is that the people will flock to you. They'll love you because you're a Targaryen and they desperately want the Targaryens, a return of the Targaryen dynasty and rule and stuff. And yeah. That could really turn off a lot of people if her dragons are burning everything up, right? And she can't control them. I see. Uh, so what you're saying is she'll take them, maybe, take them to Westeros. Westeros will actually fall without much carnage, which is what I'm saying is she needs them to be sure. vicious to win. She does. You're saying maybe yep. maybe they'll bow to her and she won't need that. Um, and And then you're saying, well after that because they're so indisciplined they'll cause trouble for her and maybe even during i I think she does need them to win in battle and stuff like that but then you know just like she's trying to rule peacefully in marine and these dragons are Mm. undermining her just by being dragons dragon gonna dragon as you said yeah you know what's that gonna be like in westeros yeah and we're they're wild uh, cards we're guilty we're guilty of what we always accuse the Night's Watch of being guilty mm. of. Um, ignoring the threat of the others. Yeah. Of, of, uh, yeah, of the others That's true. Because of the wildlings. Uh-huh. And what role will those dragons play? In fighting others. Yeah. In fighting the others. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I think, you know, she certainly needs to get a hold of them. And she needs more riders. She can only ride one. Yeah. Um, and so she needs more riders to 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 bring them to heal, right? That's very true. And and but that's again one of the things that I'm guilty of and I think a lot of people are too. I'm not alone in this is that we focus so much on wow, dragon riders, who are going to be the other two dragon riders and and everything and mm-hmm. we focus so much on that that we forget that these dragons are actual beings. They're not just things Functional, to be yeah. ridden. They're not vehicles. Right. Yeah. And we can't discount that in all of this. And yeah. we talk about them riders. Well, how, uh, who's going to, are they going to accept riders? Like we got to take that into account. Like yep. how are these dragons going to actually behave and everything? Yeah. yeah. Good point though, about focusing on the real danger, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, will Jamie ever be able to cultivate a fatherly relationship with his surviving children? I don't know. I asked that question and I really don't have an answer to it. I mean, uh, I don't know. It's confusing. So, Jamie has expressed, I I really thought it was in these chapters, um, but maybe it's later. Um, He has expressed, these are not my kids. Mm -hmm. These are, you know, you let these be Robert's kids. And so they're not mine now. Mm -hmm. And he, it's like he feels like that ship has sailed. But, I mean, I feel like there's oodles of examples in pop culture and real life where fathers show up late in the game and make an impact. Mm -hmm. 
and there's no reason he couldn't. But is that him just saying that? Is that kind of is that kind of a bitterness that he's saying that? You took those kids Maybe. from me. Like he's just saying it to hurt Cersei? Maybe a little bit. Doesn't believe it. And out of regret too. It, it's an interesting thing because he has devoted his whole life to being this wonderful knight and everything and to some degree maybe having a family would have held him back a little bit from from achieving the things he wanted to achieve certainly being a member of the king's guard he can't do that right that's obvious he's not supposed to have a family yeah. and everything but um you you could argue that the kids would be better off without not cultivating the father yeah. relationship right i mean just given the the baggage we know that he has mm-hmm coming from being you know in his family and all the problems they have right now that's that's a little bit deterministic um or fatalistic you know there are plenty of people that have rough childhoods that turn out to be great parents Mm -hmm. and so you know it's not fair necessarily to right to do that but i think more than your typical case the odds are stacked against him being good he's already got this bitterness He's a member of the King's Guard. No one else is allowed to know that they're his kids. Mm-hmm. It's like there, there's just there's a lot of things stacked against him. Well, just the kids knowing that their uncle is actually their dad, and yeah. their uncle actually like both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's weird. Well, that, yeah. Psychologically, that could be tough to get past. Uh, but, it, you know, it's just something that I never thought of or considered until we had that little jamie tommen moment here that yeah i'd forgotten about that me moment. too it's a it's a real it's a really nice moment. yeah i mean for someone who has is inexperienced in that you know he it's i think it's also symbolic too he he had committed to staying with his dad for those seven days even at the expense of doing his actual job as i said in my summary yeah. which is protecting the king and uh you know when when he saw a need he went to you know, you could say he was thinking of him as his son or as his king, but he went to Tommen when Tommen needed it and uh, when he needed that figure. So, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they need they need somebody, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and Kevin alluded Cersei. to that as well. Yeah. yeah, Kevin alluded to that as well in the Cersei chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, who's it going to be? You know? Yep. Well, if well, uh, we'll Maggie the Frog has her way, they're the yeah, they're dead before too long. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, good old Maggie. Yeah. Um, we've only really got one more that we wanted to hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrion's dream, the, the, the coming dream, which is what I'll call it for now. Right. <laughs> uh, the weeping head dream. The weeping head dream. Yeah. Uh, is it prophetic? Is it foreshadowing? I mean, it, it would... It's it would be inaccurate foreshadowing since Tywin's already dead. Um, but it could be partially foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of weird things in it. First of all, it seems like the prophetic dreams happen when someone's in contact with Weirwood or something like that. Even like Jamie's dream, they note that he had it while he was sleeping using a Weirwood stump as his pillow, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so this, he's just sleeping in... in um, Illyrio's thing so you know yeah. unless he's he's just a prophet by nature and is able to have these prophetic dreams but I don't know let's go through it real quick so he's in Westeros the hills are as red as blood 
Tyrion is fighting besides Selmy and Bittersteel, and there's dragons in the sky. Uh, Tyrion has two heads, both of them noseless. Uh, Tywin's leading the enemy. Tyrion kills him, then he kills Jaime. And then when the fight finishes, his second head, as Scad said, so eloquently is weeping. (laughs) (laughs) Why does he have two heads? Is it the dual kind of conflicting natures of Tyrion right now? You've got the angry, vengeful Tyrion. He doesn't seem that conflicted to me. No. On the (laughs) outside. He just seems angry. But is that just like this little glimpse into that there's still a side of Jamie that loves, that loves, or side of Tyrion that loves Jamie? Is his brother? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Time heals all wounds. All right. But what's interesting about all this is, and we get really conflicting things going on here. So Tyrion is fighting beside two people. Barristan and Bittersteel. Right. One long dead, one not at all in his picture, mm-hmm. in his immediate future. Selmy is on Danny's side, for now. Yep. Uh, there's reason yep. to believe, and Brendan Beefish just wrote a, a fairly compelling uh essay that postulates that maybe Selmy will switch sides once he finds out about Aegon and and everything. Um, yeah, I haven't been able to read all of it. I skimmed it. Right. It's long. It's long. Beefish. It is long. I got. Give me a break, man. I got. I got to take some time to read that. <laughs> uh, but regardless of that, Selmy and Bittersteel were, even though they didn't exist at the same time, but they're on opposite sides of the conflict. Uh, Bittersteel right. founds the Golden Company, and Selmy is the one that effectively ends the Blackfire male line by killing Malus of the Golden Company. So right. you got Bittersteel and Selmy, who are actually in opposition to each other, but here they're fighting on the same side. And one of them is interesting. dead. Bittersteel and Bittersteel's not around. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so, just like Tywin. So, right, but but it but it could be. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a metaphor, right? Of I imagine Bittersteel represents the Golden Company. We know that the Golden Company ditches Danny uh-huh. for Aegon. Right. We played it coy in the first part of the podcast, the non-spoilery part. Not like we didn't know that, but they do. Uh-huh. Uh, we know they do that, and like you said, Beefish's essay implies that. Barristan will have a real crisis of conscience when he realizes or learns uh, that Aegon is around and is a you know is the real heir. Uh-huh. Uh, if he sees some changes in Danny that he really doesn't like, yep. um, you know, will he have a, a crisis of conscience? See, I did skim it. I did get you some did. points yep. out of that thing. Um, but but so so in that in that way they could end up in the same on the same side of the conflict right mm-hmm. um and and then it would be you know that that would be prophetic in a way right um Tyrion's dreaming now about two things that haven't happened Barristan leaving Danny and the Golden Company leaving Danny right and Tyrion fighting at their side which you know a lot of people think Tyrion's going to end up with Danny at some point yes. this leads us to believe that Tyrion is fighting uh, with the Golden Company in the on Aegon side. If we were to look at it that right. way, which means that the Lannisters would be fighting for Danny, or maybe what it's uh, throwing throwing Beefish's essay completely out the window. Sure. Maybe what it's prophesying is 
a theory that I've, that, well, I'm certainly not the first to float mm. it, but a theory that I like that Danny will join Aegon. Sure. And Barristan represents the Danny side, and Bittersteel represents the, Aegon the Golden side. Company Aegon side. Like that. And Tyrion is kind of connecting mm. them because um, he's spent time with both. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, well, that's, uh, that's one way you could read that. I too. like that too. Yep. It certainly would be sweet. Yeah. yeah, the Targaryen and the Blackfires but coming together. Hills red with blood, that could be like the Dornish hills, right? Oh, that's true. I was thinking of, of it as the reddish. the field of fire, you know, the battle. Oh, yeah. Where sure. you know, everyone got toasted by the dragons and everything. But no, that's, that's compelling too. Red sands of Dorne. So. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we beat the crap out well, of that. Well, and and you know, just to to bring it all down a notch, it could just be that Tyrion was just having a dream, a wet dream, a, a very yeah, a satisfying one with a satisfying ending. <laughs> but you know, with all the things that he and Illyrio had talked about, they brought up Westeros. They brought up Barristan yes. Selmy. They didn't bring up Bittersteel yeah. particularly, if I'm not mistaken. But they talked about the Golden Tyrion Company. Was thinking about him. That's right. He does think about him. Um, you know, the two heads thing, that one's weird, but <laughs> Selmy killed yeah. Malus the Monstrous and Malus had two heads, right? He had his regular head and then he had that little shrunken head on his shoulder there. Um, yeah, creepy. <laughs> maybe that's part of it. Uh, or it's just the dueling natures of Tyrion, like I talked about, which is maybe too poetic, but, uh, yeah, it could just be that Tyrion's dreaming about crap that he talked about during his day yes all right uh regular dreams please mm-hmm. they all gotta mean something yeah all right well should we call it a day yes sir. go to sign offs yes, all right how about it well uh just thinking about cersei and jamie i thought of a john mayer song uh he says in the song fool to love you It'd take a fool to love you, and I'm just a fool for you. So this is Matt signing off saying that. It'd take a fool to love you, but I'm just that fool for you, Scad. And oh, our blood riders. And then especially our blood riders. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I had a little a little laugh moment. Uh, Jamie is threatening Varys and, and making him help free Tyrion mm-hmm. uh, in the Jamie chapter. And Varys gets pricked <laughs> by Jamie's dagger. And says, I have always abhorred the sight of my own blood. And it made me think of the classic film Dodgeball. Hmm. Uh, the best line in the whole film. Ben Stiller. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. So that's my sign off. On that note, Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. On that note, good night, my friend. <laughs> good night, everybody. See you guys. Night, Pat. Oh, it takes a fool to love you. It takes a fool to love you. It takes a fool to love you. Oh, and I'm just the fool for you. Yeah, how how are how are you doing? I'm I'm having a little trouble with something. With what? And I wanted to bring it up to you here. Uh oh. How how would Rogue One fit into Machete Order? Oh. <laughs> I thought this was something like right? serious. But 
in reality, this is serious. In reality, this is like deathly serious. This is the serious. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm trying the <clears throat> new headphone approach. Ooh. So it's I, my voice sounds weird now because I have these things shoved in my. You're hearing ears. them in your ear. Does well, it no. help to just do like one? Uh, maybe, but that might cause the same problem of bleeding sound. Yeah. Depends on where you put the other bud. Yeah. You could stick it in orifices where it would never <laughs> emit sound I, again. I wondered if you were going to go there. <laughs> and we did. <laughs> uh, Here we are. And that is how we roll. Hey, Blood Riders, hope you enjoyed the episode today. We had two songs that we just wanted to give credit where credit was due. So the first was uh, Over My Head, in parentheses, Cable Car, by The Fray. I'm not a huge fan of The Fray, but I, for some reason I just love that song. Uh, it's off their album, How to Save a Life. And the next one we used was called Fool to Love You by John Mayer, one of my favorites. It's off his album, Born and Raised. It's included as a bonus track at the very end. So another good little ditty. Join us next time. Can't wait to chat with you guys. Had fun today. Uh, peace out. See you later. Mm-hmm.